settle for less than God's best. And, um, you know, his best will always bring us from glory to glory. And our best will, well, what we think our best is, will, you know, bring us down to the ground. Um, so with that being said, you know, in my life, um, I've always thought that, that, you know, what I wanted was the best thing for me. And I, I was always rebellious when God told me, no, that's not what I want for you. And I didn't listen, and I didn't care. And I just went to the ground little by little. And, you know, until I decided, God, I want you to give me your best. And that's the day I decided to let go of everything. And I was like, God, I just want what you want for me. And, um, you know, like he changed a lot in my life. But recently, um, I, you know, I was, before I came to Metro Praise, I was, I was in a relationship. And I was about to get engaged. But I finished that relationship because that was not, that was not God's best for me. And I knew that. So, you know, coming here, you know, obviously, you guys met Brian. Um, and that is truly God's best for me because, you know, like now I have not compromised with purity. I have not compromised with anything. Um, you know, even though we have ups and downs and, you know, we might argue here and there, but I'd rather argue about what kind of rug we're going to have in our living room sets <laughs> than actually arguing about, you know, whether, why are you cheating on me, you know? So that's what I want everyone to be encouraged. Like, listen to God's best. He wants the best for you, you know, like. We're about to get married. We're engaged. You know, we got engaged last year. And just getting married and the whole process of that, it's amazing. But I did not settle for my best. I settled. And I'm going, always going towards God's best. Mm, so amen. I just wanted to encourage everyone with that. Oh, let's pray. <coughs> oh, God, thank you, God, for being a father, God. Thank you for always providing what is best for us, God. God, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for uh, everything that you're doing in our lives right now, God. God, I pray that every person here is obedient to your voice, God, that is obedient to your word, oh God, and they deny themselves and they just glorify you all the way, God, and they start... Um, they start wanting the things of you and just they, they start destroying the things that they want, God. So I just pray that you guide everyone here, that um, you are glorified in every single area in everyone's life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Yes. We just want to give God a hand clap of praise. I hope you guys are ready to worship the Lord this morning.
forever, not just temporarily, God, because we know that you are God, and you are here. God, if we've fallen asleep, wake us up, because we know, God, that you are our King of glory, oh God. Oh, Jesus. Lord God, just come into our lives this morning, God. Wake us up, God. We want to be with you, Lord, and we, we want to shout your name, God. We want to proclaim it to the ages, God. We want to just know you more. We want to spread your word, oh God. Oh, Jesus, you are glorious, oh God, you are glorious. Your face outshines the
worship you, God, because you are glorious, God. Oh, God, because your face outshines that brightest sun, God. And for those of that are here today that don't understand how glorious you are, God, I pray that they would know today how you are powerful over situations. How you love the broken and you bind up the, the brokenhearted. That when we weep, we can weep at your feet and you understand us. We can be excited and you rejoice with us. And I think we forget sometimes that we are emotional beings, but we were created by an emotional God. And that we need to spend every waking moment in his presence. And that there is no place that we'd rather be because there's no place that he'd rather be than with his people that he enjoys the alone time with us as much, if not more, than we enjoy our alone time with him. And he looks forward every day to spending time with you. But do we take the time to spend the time with him? I pray this is a year where you guys all draw closer. And we say that there's no place we'd rather be, God, No place I'd rather be, no place I'd rather be, no place I'd rather be than here in your love, here in your love. No place I'd rather be, no place I'd rather be, no place I'd rather be. And here in your love, here in your love, to set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. No place I'd rather be. No place I'd rather be, no place I'd rather be than here in your love, here in your love. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you. Let's just sing that. I'd like to, for us to really sing this just a cappella for just a moment that we can really set our hearts on Jesus this morning. No place I'd rather be. No place I'd rather be. No place I'd rather be. Then here in your love, here in your love, no place I'd rather. 
rather be no place i'd rather be no place i'd rather be than here in your love here in your love set a fire down in my soul that i can't contain that i can't control i want more of you god i want more of you god set a fire down in my soul that i can't contain that i can't control i want more of you god i want more of you draw near to him he will draw near to us and so if you are seeking in this place just ask God to make himself real to you and I know he will because he's done it in all of our lives the gospel to you because the gospel is why we are here and if it weren't for Jesus we wouldn't have ever made it to this place so in Romans 3 23 and 24 it says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus, by Christ Jesus. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short. We can't save ourselves. There's no way for us to do it. We can't be good enough. We can't earn it. We've all sinned. Even the best among us have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. But the most beautiful part is that we are justified just if I'd never sinned. We are justified by God's grace. It is God's grace that sets us free. 
And it's by his grace that the redemption came. God's grace is so abundant. There's more than enough for us when we fall short because we fall short. So if you guys have not met with Jesus personally, if you don't know who God is, I just want you guys to walk out of here knowing today that God loves you and he died for you so that you could live a free and whole life, free from sin. And we know that because he transforms us, he changes us. We are not the same. I am not the same person I was yesterday, and I'm not the same person I was six years ago when I gave my life to Jesus. And so at the time, um, at fellowship time, we're going to have a couple prayer workers up here to pray for you. If you guys just need prayer for anything, you want to receive Jesus, accept him as your savior, they will pray with you with, with glad hearts to do it. And so I just want to take this time to just pray for y'all. Oh, Jesus. God, we just come before you, Lord. We thank you so much for your grace that, that saved us, Lord. And I just, I pray that every person here knows that their, their sins can be washed away, that they can be forgiven. They don't have to live the same as they were yesterday. I pray, God, that they will come to you, that they will seek you, and they will find you. They will know you, God, and they will know that you gave your life for them so that they can live a free and whole life. Lord, I thank you for that freedom that you've given us, for that grace that pours out when we fall short. We just, we repent before you, God, for anything that we've done that breaks your heart, God. And we just ask to be free and whole today, God, for the rest of our lives. And we pray this all in your wonderful and heavenly name, Jesus. And everybody said amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. We want to recite our confession of faith. This is our Christian worldview. We do this every week. And so on the count of three, we are going to read this together. On the count of one, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Greet your neighbor. Greet somebody you haven't met before. This fellowship.
who's excited to be at church? Second service, come on, make some noise. You guys are the ones that got to sleep in, have some breakfast. It's good to see everybody here. Look to your neighbor, say, good to have you. Good to have you here. Look to your other neighbors, say, come back next week. Give them a high five. Come on, get comfortable. Don't be shy. Welcome, everybody, to Metro Praise International. Our services are every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service. This is where we have our King's Kids, uh, children 11, uh, infant to 11 years old in the back, where they're learning about God and worshiping and all that. And so we get to enjoy ourselves here as well and get closer to the Lord. And then Elevate every Friday at 7 p.m. for our teenagers. That's our youth service. 11 to 18 years old. So if you know anybody in that age, age group, you want them to be here on Friday nights. Here at MPI, we have a vision, strategy, and goal. Say it with me. Vision, strategy, goal. Our vision is loving God and loving people. The two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. How many of you guys want to live your life the way God has commanded us to live our life? Come on. That is the vision of the whole church. Loving God, loving people. Our strategy is, con is to connect you to our life groups to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books, and then to send you out to do evangelism to win souls for the Lord. And then our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. How many of you guys want to be a part of, that, of something that big? Come on, because you guys are. And if you keep going, being faithful and connect and, and be mentored and all that, God is going to do awesome things in you and through you, and we're going to win Chicago for Jesus. So let's connect. Look to your neighbor. Say connect. Here are our life groups for this week. If you want the full schedule of what's going on for the quarter, turn your hand out around and you'll see the schedule for what's going on for January, February, and March. Today we're kicking it off with our single moms. They're meeting at 5 p.m. Child care is included. Wednesday we have our King's Kids, infant to 11 years old, every week here at the church at 6.30. So if you have children in that age group, you want them to be here on Wednesday nights. We have the best children's workers and leaders on the planet. They're getting discipled. Your children are getting discipled, learning about Jesus and the Bible. And then Thursday every week, we have our gang outreach. 18 years and up are welcome to come and join them at 7 p.m. You meet at that address. How many of you guys know that Chicago needs revival? We need to preach the gospel in any way possible. And that's just one of the many ways we're able to go out into our city and take back what the enemy has stolen. And then every week on Fridays, we have two adult Bible studies for you. One is at the Govea's house. The other one at our very own Vivids, Pastor Jerry and Tony, come on. They just had their first one Friday. Many of you guys were there. It was an awesome first night for them. Keep going. Be faithful. If you haven't joined yet, please do so. Kick off this new year right and get connected. And then we want to mentor you through our 101 and 201. The 101 book is called Welcome to Your New Life. That is done one-on-one -on -one with our leaders. We have leaders ready to take you through that, to join with you in your walk with the Lord, to strengthen you, to answer your questions. God is there for you, and it's through the people. It's through leaders in the church that are going to pour their life into you. And then when you graduate 101, you get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples. That is Sunday mornings with Pastor Jared or Thursday nights with Pastor Ellie. God is going to do awesome things in your life there. That's where we train you to be a leader, to one day be appointed to be a deacon or an elder in the church. And then we want you guys to get sent out to do evangelism on the streets every Saturday from 5 to 8 p.m. We're hitting the streets, preaching the gospel. And the Bible says to be able to give an answer, be able to give an answer to everyone 
who asks you for the hope that you have. And so we need to be trained. If you want to be trained to do evangelism, to be trained, to be taught how to preach the gospel on the streets, that's where you want to be. Because every life group has a form of evangelism connected to it. But this is where you're trained. So go out and join them on Saturdays. Meet here at the church. It's an awesome time. So in review, vision, strategy, goal. Vision of loving God, loving people. Strategy, connect, mentor, send. Goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you're with me, say amen. Woo! We're not doing this alone. All right, at this time, we're going to prepare our hearts to give. Here at MPAI, we believe in the tithe and the offering. And today, you guys will be receiving your end-of-the-year giving reports from 2015. And we just want to thank you so much for your support, all that you've given sacrificially and generously to the Lord and to MPI through your tithes and your offering. If you have any questions about your end-of-the-year giving report, you can see Ricky Rivera after the service, and he will gladly assist you with any questions you have about that. We believe in the tithe. It's 10% of your total income given regularly and faithfully to the church. Uh, our offering is designated towards two areas, one to missions and the other one to building. We give to missions various times throughout the year. And we are currently in our building fund to raise the new band equipment, which you guys have heard about and we'll get to in a little bit. But let's turn to the Disciples Giving Book. You can go to givingbook.org. Or follow along at the screen. We're in section one, kicking off the new year. It's all about lessons on tithing. Today is lesson two. The tithe was revealed before the law of Moses to Abraham. Here is the definition. The tithe is 10% of our total income given to God faithfully. And we're going to be reading from Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20. You guys can follow along with me on the screen. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Here are the two main points. Number one, excuse me, the tithe is a spiritual principle, not just a law. It's a spiritual principle. Before God gave the law of, of the tithe to Moses, the principle was known spiritually by God's people because of Abraham's interaction with Melchizedek, Genesis 14, 20. And it's very important for us as believers to live our lives by spiritual principles. It keeps us in tune with the Lord. We are blessed. We are favored that way. How many of you guys have principles that you live by? And tithing is one of that. That's how it started before it was ever given as law. So we as Christians should not only take it as a law to, to abide by, but as a spiritual principle. Number two, spiritual principles never change. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. Therefore, spiritual principles like tithing remain the same throughout all the stages of time. So that, that has not changed for us. And so that's why we do it wholeheartedly. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. You see the tithe being given throughout the, the New Testament churches. Paul teaches it in his way. It's never taught the way it is like, you know, you have to give the 10%. But it was a spiritual principle from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And we see it working through the New Testament churches. And here's a summary. Since the tithe was introduced before the law of Moses, it remains after the old covenant and into the new covenant, covenant. So it was never done away with. Here's the application. Number one, be a blessing to your local church like Abraham was a blessing to the priestly king Melchizedek by giving a tenth of everything. Say everything. 
Number two, ask God to bless you and give you success like he did for Abraham. Galatians 3.9. And that is a scripture talking about how we should live by faith like Abraham did. How many people of faith do I have in this room? Come on. When we live by faith, we're not going to worry. We're going to trust God from our finances to our children to our marriages, everything in between. If you're with me, let's confess this over our life together on the count of three. One, two, three. The tithe was implied with Cain and Abel, revealed to Abraham, established in the law of Moses, and is still relevant for today. It comes with a blessing and curse. It must be qualitative, a priority, and a faithful practice in our lives. The tithe advances the kingdom of God, tests our maturity, breaks the attitude of greed through obedience, is mandated for all, and brings us into partnership with God and his church. If that gets you excited, please stand up to your feet with me this afternoon. I will be sitting. You can stand. <laughs> that gets me excited. Here are four ways for you guys to give. Number one, in the bucket during the offering right here in the front. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes there in the back. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Jerry if you want to pay your tithes and offerings in that way or purchase anything in the church. And number four, online with Chase Cook Pay, PayPal, Bill Pay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. So it's all very clear, very convenient for you to do so. Here is our building fund that we have. This is our new band equipment. So if you haven't done so already, we want you to pray. Ask God what you should give. Listen to what he tells you. Obey the Holy Spirit. Be faithful to that. Give generously is number three. And so we just want to thank you so much for partnering with us because we believe that God will change the world through, through each and every one of us in, in big ways and little ways. And so we just have to be obedient. Let's recite this together. Philippians 4.18. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness, your generosity to our lives. God, I pray that you bless the gift and the giver this afternoon. I ask you, God, that you would bless and prosper your people as they faithfully tithe, faithfully give their offerings, that you would meet their needs according to your glorious riches. Use us to continue to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth until you come, Lord. And I pray that you bless them on their jobs, give them promotions and raises and increases, open doors for those that are looking for jobs, oh God. I pray, Lord God, that you would go before them and follow close behind, and we would be careful to give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Let's get excited. Come up to the front. Thank you for your support and for your generosity.
on, if you love Jesus, can I get a whoop whoop? Amen. Bringing back the Arsenio Hall to your church. Amen. How many are enjoying winter weather? Anybody? <laughs> Nobody? Y'all right now like it's crazy. <laughs> yes. You guys are just in the beach in, in Nicaragua, Miami for two weeks, and you're loving the difference now, huh? That's cool. I saw your Facebook picture. You guys are all over the beach. Some of those pictures were so nice, especially the ones where I think where the sun was setting. So nice. Is anybody jelly that they went to Nicaragua and Miami last week, two weeks too? They were gone for two weeks. But you know what? At least we got to bust out our winter sweaters and hats right now. Some of you got your winter stuff on. You know, it, it, you, know it, you, got, you got the stuff you better wear it, you know. So I hope that you guys enjoy winter. It is Chicago. I had to shovel yesterday. And uh, now they say it's supposed to be minus degrees, whatever. And the thing I'm happy about is that now the snow places, what do they call the snow places? Ski lodges can put down some snow. Anybody going to go skiing this year? Anybody? So I'm the gringo that goes skiing. Does anybody else go? Does it <laughs> Like, you're in Chicago, man. None of us go skiing. Okay. Does anybody ever want to go skiing? Anybody want to try? Okay. Well, you guys look me up on Facebook and let's go skiing. Okay. I will. I go snowboarding, but I can show you how to ski. I've gone skiing. This, this is how you go down the hill like this. And then this is how you stop like that right there. That's how you stop. Everybody just do it with your little feet right there. That's how you stop. Anybody, no, nobody wants to practice. You guys can do it while you're sitting down. That's how you stop. Now, snowboarding is like this. Snowboarding, and, and you're going straight, and that's really scary. You're like, ah, you know, going down like this. Now, if you want to turn, how you turn is you go on your toes. You lean on your toes like that. And just by leaning in a little bit, dude, like you just carving in. And then if you want to go back, man, you just carve out. You guys think I'm being silly, but you carve out. I am tempted right now to play you some videos of me wakeboarding and snowboarding. Should I do that? For second service people, let me see how I can do this. Okay, why don't we put on some party music, talk to your neighbors about Jesus, and then we'll watch me snowboard and wakeboard because that's really cool, and then we'll go back to talking about Jesus, okay? Cool, okay. Okay, you guys ready? Okay, here it is. This is this is your white boy pastor living out his extreme sport fantasies right here, okay? Here we go. Here we go. Okay, this is me wakeboarding. Yeah! Here's me snowboarding. <laughs> Big one. There's another one. 
That's why I hurt my shoulder on that big one. Here's another snowboard, uh, wakeboarding. Isn't that fun? Catching the air, dude. Yeah. Here's the big one. Yeah. <laughs> no hand clap, no hand clap. Stick to preaching, pastor. Okay, that's what I'll do. But anyways, my whole point in saying that was is now these places can have snow because if they don't have cold weather, they can't make snow because generally, unless we're going through some crazy like blizzard like we went last year, you can't... Uh, you don't get enough snow in the Midwest. So these guys right here, like you see these big piles of snow, they have to make it. Like I just had to show you this. When I, whenever I have like a computer in front of me, I have to express what I'm saying. You know, I'm like Italian, and this is how I express it. So to make that snow, they have to have it cold. And how many want to go skiing or snowboarding with me? Okay, just hook me up on Facebook, and I'll let you know where I'm going. Let's go uh, to the Bible now. You guys ready for the Bible? You guys ready to do that? That's kind of why we came, right? Let's go to John 15. The book of John, chapter 15, we're in a sermon series called Chosen. Had a great first service. Love our second service, folks. So thank you for coming out. Let's continue to be faithful this year to the church that God has planted us in. Last week we talked about God choosing us by way of inviting us. Okay, Now this may seem easy to understand, but I think sometimes we get it confused in the church. God only chooses those who respond to the invitation. So let's step back and get this illustration. Imagine if I said to you, I'm having a birthday party for my daughter Bethany. I want you guys to come. And at the birthday party, we're going to have some horses there that you guys can ride on. How many think that would be pretty cool, right? Now, here's the deal. The only ones who get to ride on the horses are those who come to the birthday party. So I invited everybody, but only those who come get chosen to ride on the horses. And I actually have a great illustration for this. So as we're just looking at pictures and stuff. So my friend, he got married in the Green Mountains of Vermont. Has anybody ever even heard of the Green Mountains of Vermont, let alone been there? Probably not, right? Most of us have never heard of it. Oh, dude, so epic. This is exactly what it looked like at the wedding right here. This is exactly it right here. This is so beautiful. So he got married in the Green Mountains of Vermont, like a church somewhere here, and we got to look out and see this, and uh, it had the, had the ceremony in the church, but outdoors, because the wife was from Vermont, they had the big white tent, and the fellowship was out there, and it looked exactly like this, and you know what? They had a horse there, and it was so awesome. Now, I, I grew up going to zoos. Anybody ever ride a horse at the zoo or one of those places? Okay. Does anybody do anything outdoors here? I'm losing you guys. There's so much disconnection. Okay. You do stuff outdoors. Okay. You've been on a horse before too, right? Okay, now we're connecting. Anybody else been on a horse at a place like that? Okay, when you're at when you're at a place like that and you go on the horse, it doesn't matter what you do, that horse is just going to go. And I was a little kid, and I'd be like, yeah, 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 you know, making the thing go, and it wouldn't go, just. But here, they had a real horse. I'm talking a thoroughbred horse. And I said to the lady, because she owned it, I said. Hey, I've never gone galloping on a horse before like a cowboy, man. I want to do it. And she said, all you got to do is hold on to the reins, kick that horse in the side, not too hard, but just enough, and go, yeah, and that thing will take off. And I'm like thinking to myself, like, you know, I've done this at the zoo. I've tried it before. This thing is just going to like just mosey on around. No, 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 no. So I was like, yeah, like this. That thing took off. And I'm like bouncing up and down. I'm like, whoa. I'm having fun. And then and then and then there was just that moment where it's just like stops in slow motion and my hair's bouncing, you know what I'm saying? And I'm just like, yeah. And I look out and I see the green mountains. I'm like, this is the best. 
And so that's life right there, okay? And so God says, I invite all of you to the wedding, to the green mountains, and those who come will get chosen to ride on the horse. But you got to come. And you know how far I had to drive? I had to drive all the way from New Orleans, because that's where I was living at that time, all the way to Vermont. It was like 20-some hours. It was crazy, but it was worth the drive to take on the invitation so I could be chosen. And that's what we're learning here is that God is saying to us, I'm choosing you to come, or I'm inviting you rather, to come to my church, to my party. God cares and loves the church so much. And he's saying, I'm calling you to come. I'm putting out the invitation for everybody. But the thing is, you have to respond. And if you respond, you can be chosen. And so this is what God, I believe, is calling us to do. And I was talking to Lily uh, about it in the back. And this is something that I want all of you to be provoked by or or stimulated by to think about, do I want to do this? You know, my wife and I sat down 10 years ago and decided what we would do at church. And everybody here has been invited. You know, Demetria has been invited. You've been invited. Everybody's been invited. You know, it's up to you if you want to come. Sister Soldier in the back. Sister Soldier, can I get some love right here, Lily? Come on. Sister Soldier's been invited. Do you know how long I've known Lily for, a.k.a. Ashley? She's got three names. It's Ashley, a.k.a. Lily, a.k.a. Sister Soldier. Okay. Now, do you know how long I've known Sister Soldier? I've known Sister Soldier since she was in high school, and she was invited by a friend. And when you came to that service many years ago, you saw something similar to this, the vision, the strategy, the goal, right? Augustine, Augustine came to the youth group when I was a youth pastor. You remember that, Augustine? And we were in this building, but it was facing the other way, and the stage was on that wall. And you would come up here and play guitar with me, and we would sing songs for Jesus. I would pick you up from uh, your house. Sometimes you'd have your ROTC uniform on. You look so cute in that. And you applied, and you applied to be a Chicago police officer, and you look cute in that outfit too, right? Tony, will he not look cute in a Chicago PD outfit? Yes, he will. We can we are we are we are manly enough that we can say guys look cute, okay? That's about the line. That's about as far as you can go to, until you cross over. But anyway, he remembers. He remembers. And we would hang out and we would talk. And this is what I would be about, right? This is it. And so now the invitation still remains the same. It's like, do you want to do it? God will choose you to be a part of this if you respond to the invitation. The invitation for other churches has gone out, and God's done great things in the city. You know, you look at the campus there of Moody and all that God did through D.L. Moody and how now, like, almost 100 years later, it's still there. That's awesome, isn't it? Aren't you happy that's there? And there's other churches that have done it. What we're saying now is, Lord, do it again in the way that you've asked us to do it. You know, Lord, uh, we'll be faithful And, Lord, make us fruitful. And so what I want to ask you as we get ready to learn about loving God today is do you want to be a part of what God is doing here? Because the heart of what we are about is loving God and loving people. And that's what we're going to learn today is loving God. What do you think we'll learn about next week? Loving people. That's awesome. And that will cover the vision. And then the next week, what do you think we'll talk about? The strategy, talk about connecting and being mentored and sent out. And then we'll talk about the goal, dreaming big. So this is what we're doing, starting off the year. And I've started off almost every year this way. I, I, I can't remember um, how soon I did it in, in the church, but it's almost like since the beginning, every January, I refocus us on why we're here. Now, 
when you're considering your place in the church, you may sometimes say to yourself, well, pastor, you know, I'm just, I'm just a, a dude. I'm just a guy. I'm just working. You know, I come to church on Sunday. I really like what God does here, but what more really can I do? Well, the whole thing that we're going to talk about today when it comes to loving God is about you adopting the principles of the church in your love for God everywhere you go. See, if the principles of the church are the principles of the kingdom, then that means you apply them everywhere you go. You apply them on your job. You apply them in your family. You apply it to your marriage, to your, to your children, to, to your community. I am not just a pastor. Um, I'm not just pastoring this church. I'm pastoring the community. And if you're a leader in this church, you're not just a leader in the church. You're a leader in the community. And God has called all Christians to be leaders. How many think on your job they need some leaders there? How many think that in our communities, in our families, we need some leaders you know, we're looking at another election season, season and it you know, depends on where you're, you're looking at it. We tend to be more conservative here in this church. And, uh, you know, like my personal preference would be like for Ted Cruz. I really like him. Uh, you know, I'm not very happy. As a conservative, I'm just talking as a conservative. If you want a Democratic pastor, you can talk to a Democratic pastor. But I'm a conservative pastor, right? So I'm just saying for myself, I look at Ted Cruz, I'm like, he's a good guy. But he's not the answer for, for my nation. You know what I'm saying? And even if I was a Democrat and I was like, oh, I like Hillary Clinton, I wouldn't think Hillary Clinton's the answer for my nation. What, what this nation needs is Christian people. How many people believe this nation needs Christian people? Can I show you that a founding father said that? Governed by Christian people? This is what we need. I believe um, it was one of our presidents that actually said it, that it's meant to be governed by Christian people, one of our founding fathers, because our freedoms will not work unless you have a morality that guides them. So we give you the freedom in America to be able to own handguns and, and weapons. But if you're not living according to the conscience of the Bible, you're going, you know, the, the, um, the, the morality of the Bible, you're going to shoot somebody with those guns. But how many know, like just for an example, just think about this, just think about this real quick. How many know in the founding of our nation, everybody had a gun, right? But nobody killed anybody at schools. Why do you think that was? Everybody had guns, but nobody went into a school and shot people. Okay, when I lived in the south, or you go right now to southern Illinois, in southern Illinois, it's not even the south, we don't even have to go to New Orleans, we don't have to go to Georgia, I'm just talking southern Illinois, I was shooting my shotgun in some dude's backyard, okay, I mean, almost everybody in that community has guns but they're not killing each other, right? So what's the difference? It's like now we have inner city crime and then we have psychotic suicidal crime. And both of those are, are, are expressions of the same kind of sin, which is the sin of selfishness, the sin of hopelessness, the sin of pride, not loving your neighbor as yourself. And so somebody may say, well, let's take away the, let's take away the Bible. Uh, I mean, uh, let's take away the right to own guns. No, 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 no. What we need to have is a Christian people. So look at this. John Adams, our second president. Anybody ever heard of John Adams? Okay, it says, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. And he was a Christian. That's what he was saying. He, he's saying, we're giving you freedom, freedom of speech. Freedom of speech was never meant so that there could be pornography. 
It was never meant for that. Freedom of speech was so that you could express your values. But now we have to include in there pornography because there's people who want pornography. And they say, well, if you don't do it for them, you don't do it for others. You know, now we're taking away freedom of speech. But these men had freedom of speech, but they never did pornography. Why didn't they do that? Why didn't it come into their mind? Oh, let's have two girls kissing each other and let's put it on a picture. Why didn't they do that? They could have took pictures or at least drawings. Because their hearts weren't corrupted that way, right? Now, somebody may say, well, why did they own slaves? Well, the people who owned slaves went to hell. That's why, because their hearts were corrupted. But the good thing is, is our nation wasn't built upon slave owners. A lot of them were not slave owners. Don't get into your mind, African-American brothers and sisters. Trust me, I've studied my black history. Do not get into your mind that every white man like this was owning a slave. That is incorrect, you know. Read, uh, watch the movie 12 Years a Slave or the book. There was always a Christian people liberating, keeping free the African-American people, treating them as equals, the Indians. How many people know, does anybody know where the first African-American got their degree? First African, it was a woman, graduated college. Anybody know in America? Huh? Anybody study black history? Where? See, you're close. It was, well, you, you keep guessing. Let me see. African woman graduated first. Let me put it right here. We get the first on a Wikipedia article, all the first from the African-American community. List of African-American first. Look at this. Here we go. First African-American. Look at this. 1738, the first African-American community was in Florida. See, don't let people lie to you. The reason why there was a civil war, the reason why people killed, they didn't just wake up one day, sister soldier, and go like, oh, I want Kuta Kinte to be free. I'm going to go kill somebody now. No, the reason why they went to war in the civil war is because over 100 years they were hating it. They were against it. There was an underground railroad. There were people fighting against it. And then they finally said, we're done with this. We're going to kill over it now. Does everybody get that? Okay, it wasn't like it just started. It wasn't like it just started. Somebody goes, I'm going to kill over slavery now. Like, oh, let's just go fight and kill. No, because there was always a resistance against it, okay? Uh, just to give another little black history here. I used to work in an all-African-American community for seven years, so I've got to bring it out every now and then. Okay, so let's go to the first. It's going to be in the 1800s. First, uh, look at this. First fully African-American denomination, African-American, uh, African Methodist Episcopal Church, AME, established in Pennsylvania and mid-Atlantic states. You see, they had their own denomination, man. They were rocking and rolling. And then here we go, first, pat, uh, first African-American to hold a patent, first uh, captain of a ship. All of these things were happening mostly, obviously, in the north. And then where is, here we go, African-American doctor, Dr. James McCunn Smith, practiced law, 1845. Okay, now where is the college professor? I skipped the first college graduate. Does it have it here? What, you saw the other link? Okay, because I thought I had it on this link. Which one? There we go, Lucy Ann Statton, first woman. Now look at this. First African-American woman gets her, born in Cleveland, October 31st. She earned Oberlin College. She got her degree. Now does anybody know who was the, pre the second president of Oberlin College? Anybody know? The president of Ober second president of Oberlin College was Charles Finney, an awesome, awesome pastor. Now you guys want to see the history of Oberlin College? What was Oberlin College? It was a, let's get to the founding right here. It was, I believe, a Baptist. Here we go. Let's go right here. Both the college and town of Oberlin were uh, founded in northern Ohio in 1833 by a pair of who? Presbyterian ministers. Presbyterian ministers said, let's found a town. 
Let's start a college. And when did this woman, Lucy, when did she graduate? She entered in, uh, in the mid-1940s. Within a few years, they said, we're going to have women and we're going to have African Americans. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay, now, what does that have to do with what I'm talking about today? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely. I have no way of tying that in. I don't even know where I, how did I even go off onto that? I started somewhere. Where was I starting? Because anybody remember where I started and I left? Where did I leave? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so here's my point. Here is my point with this message today as we get into this sermon. Here we go. Here is the point, y'all, is that politics can't save us. Politics can't save us. So even me, like before there was ever even a black president, before, like, you know, and people like the African-American community was, like, if I just get a black president, he'll change our world. Look, are you changed now? Really? Change? Did it come? How much did you get of it, right? Are you still looking for it? Because here's the thing. I have my face, white face, on a lot of presidents, and they haven't done nothing for me, really. Come on. And those from Latino nations, it's like, oh, if we could just get one of the gente in office, it would be so good. Well, there's a lot of gente in Mexican politics. Is it really good? And those who are from Mexico, are Mexican politics the best? There's a lot of Hispanics in Nicaraguan politics. Is it the best? There's a lot of, you get what I'm saying? Our race won't save us, and, and our culture won't save us. So what we need is Jesus. So when you go back to your job, do you bring there these things that don't work? No, no, no. Bring Jesus. Bring Jesus. And more than anything else, your company, your family, your community needs Jesus. And what's it invite, What's God inviting us to do? To build his church. To build a community in this world that impacts everything we do. That's why our nation was founded. Not everybody was a good person. But the majority who said, we want to be here, we want to be in America for those reasons. And we need to make America great again by loving God. Can I hear an amen? Something to think about. And if it's not controversial, you haven't come to the right church. Amen. I remember, turn with me to John chapter 15, verse 12. I remember when I was preaching in my hometown just like a few years ago. Was that a couple years ago with Pastor Ron? I was like, man, who who of my friends could come come see me preach, you know? And one of my old school friends, he came to check me out. And, and after the message, like literally his eyes were like this big. He was like, oh, my goodness. Number one, I've never heard anybody more offensive in my life. He's, you told everybody they were going to hell. Oprah was going to hell. These people, I've never heard it more offensive than he said. But at the same time, I've never learned more about the Bible. So it woke him up. It shook him out of what he thought the Bible was meaning, okay? So I hope that your minds are open now. Look at this, John 15, 12. My command is this, love each other. Look up here, love each other, thank you, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what? What I command. Thank you. Come on. I need some help, Maria. Missed you, sister. Come on. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Thank you for everything that I have learned from my father I've made known to you. Now, look at this. You did not what? 
choose me, but I chose you, thank you, and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Everybody say it together. One, two, three. Love each other. Okay, now put this in your mind. God is inviting all of us to be chosen. It's not you giving out the invitation to God saying, come to my party. No, he's giving you the invitation saying, come to my party. It's his choice to choose you. Now, it's your choice whether or not you accept it. You're not saved by works. You're saved by faith. You ever done one of those trust falls where you let yourself fall back? That is salvation, trusting God, getting out of your good works, saying, God, I'm going to put my whole life in your hands. And now what we have to learn is that his command to love each other is based on the love he has for us. So if you're taking notes, write this down. We can never love each other more than the love we have from God. Or we can never truly give love until we've received love. Or another way of looking at it, we can never express and understand love for each other until we love and understand the love and the expression that God has towards us. So if you only understand God's love this much, this is all the love you can give people. This is it. You can only give love to the amount that you love God. And if people say, well, I don't love God and I still love people. No, you don't have true love for people. What we in this world have called love is not really biblical love. Biblical love defined by the God who is love, who it tells us what love is. Love is defined by his parameters. So take this example. I got some young ladies here and some young guys and, you know, some, some, some people here. You got, I got people, okay? But I'm just talking mostly to the young people first here. I lost myself on that. But young ladies, you three, just look at me right here, okay? If a man says, I love you and I'm willing to have sex with you before marriage, he doesn't love you. He is wanting to hurt you. Now, here's the reason why he's wanting to hurt you emotionally is because he's hurt emotionally. Because if he received the love of God and knew how much God loved him, he would then love you that same way. So to the revelation that he understands God's love for him is the way that he can understand his love for you. Does everybody get that? So that's why we don't have a lot of love in this world. We call it love, but it's not really love. What we have a lot in this world, listen to this word, listen to this word. This is what we have in this world is a lot of selfishness, masquerading with a mask called love. We have parents that are acting like they love their kids, but they don't really love their kids because they don't put God's love first. Let me give you another example. This is tough, I know, because in the first service, we had a lot of families, and I know we do here, and it, it messes with people. How are you going to tell me I don't really love my kids unless I love God? Because here is the problem. Here is the problem. When you're looking at your life, what you're doing is you're looking at literally this snapshot right here, and then eternity is what goes on beyond that. Does everybody get that illustration? I'm trying to. You, this is your 70 years. Th you remember when I lit matches and showed you this is the extent of your life, just a match burning and then it goes out? Okay, watch. If you love your kids, are you going to put their baseball practice, their soccer practice, their clubs, them getting into a college above them knowing God? Because this is all they get to do that for. This is it. Eternity is this. So the parent who says, oh, I love my children, but I'm not teaching them the things of God, that's not a parent according to the Bible. I mean, they may be a provider. They may be doing all of these other kinds of things. But according to the Bible, it's not right. Now, let me just say this because as I talk like this, people get offended. Well, my mom didn't love God, and I know she loved me, and my so-and-so didn't love L Listen to me. Listen to me. Are we going to defend people right now just because they were our family members? Are we going to do that? 
because then we could defend slavery because somebody's family member did that. We could, we could defend racism, right? And let me just talk about this just real quick. Racism doesn't just exist in America. You all know that. There are people in Africa killing Africans right now. You ever heard of Sudan, Dofar? You ever heard of these names? African, black, killing black. You ever heard the drug cartels in Mexico, Latinos killing Latinos? See, racism can involve a lot of other things more than just a race by ethnicity. It can involve classism. It can involve uh, genderism, you know, putting down a gender. You, you get what I'm saying? So look, if, if that's all true, then we could defend the most horrible things, the most horrible things, because they were in our family. Are you going to do that? Now, think of it this way. Another example. If in your family right now you went to medical school, you go to medical school and you learn that this is not healthy for a person, like eating lots of fat or whatever, and your mom eats a lot of fat, does that make it better? Does that change it? Or do you go back to your mom going, hey, mom, let's, let's talk about this. We, you know, my mom literally, you talk about chewing the fat. My wife will attest to this. My mom, if you eat a steak around my mom and you leave any fat on your plate, you know what she does? She's like, can I get that? And she scoops up the fat. Am I telling the truth. She does. And then my mom eats raw meat because she's old school. She grew up on a farm Italian. So we, did, we just got some meat the other day. What was it, ground beef or something? And she just opens up the bag and just starts putting it in her mouth and she's eating it. That's my family. That's my family. So we're crazy, right? Your family's normal, right? Let me go to your house and find out what's crazy about you. Okay. Anyways, now am I going to say to my mom, mom, you're my mom, so that makes you eating raw meat good? You're my mom, so just be, you know, you eat all this fat, that's cool? No. So why would we do it different in religion? Why would we do it different in the sense of God? Jesus said it like this, his mother. Look at Jesus with his mother. Y'all want to learn about Jesus with his mother? Come on. How many want to learn about Mary? Mary got a rebuking from Jesus, right? Mary came to Jesus one day. He was out doing his work, and, and his, she brought the other children with her because Mary didn't, wasn't a perpetual virgin. She had children. It's in the Bible. And, and, and they said, Jesus, your mother is outside with your brothers looking for you. How many want to see that in the Bible? Can I show that to you? Mary with Jesus' brothers. Because I just want you guys to see this. I love Catholics. How many have Catholic family members? I have Catholic family. How many of them still love you after you're a Christian? Amen. My, my, my uncles are still deciding if they love me. I don't know. But I'm serious. I love him. I love my uncles, but I preach to them every time. Mary's brothers come get Jesus. Watch this. This is, all, this is going to be a part of the sermon. Amen. This is it. Look at this. They come, Mark chapter 3. Look at this right here. They come. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived standing outside, and they sent someone to call to him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. So this is for anybody that doesn't want to change their way of living just because Mama and Papa didn't do it this way, right? So now look at this. Jesus has his mother outside going, hey, we're looking for you, Jesus. You better come home. You got to do some laundry. You got to cut the grass. You, you better take out your brother to go get some groceries. Now look at this. Look what Jesus says. Who are my mother and my brothers? Who snap? Who are my mother? She's like, I am, and these are. And then he looked around those seated in a circle around him. Was Jesus in the mega church scenario? No, Jesus had mega crowds, but what did he do? He always broke it down to discipleship level, right? He sat with the people in a circle, and he said, here are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. See, what he said real quick in this uh, situation is whoever does God's will, is my brother and sister and mother. So today, if your parents or your family, the closest people to you who you take advice from, if they are not serving God, their advice will lead you astray. 
That's not my words, that's Jesus' words. It wasn't time for Jesus to go follow Mary and the brothers and go do whatever they were doing. No, it was time for him to listen to his father and to be around those in this room who were doing what God said to do. And Mary, you're more than welcome to come on in here. Mary, you're more than welcome to bring my brothers in here. You're more than welcome to come right here. But this is how we're doing it, and that's the way your life needs to be, my friends. You need to be able to say, you know what? God loves me, and I'm going to love him, and I'm going to do it his way. I'm going to do it God's way. Can I hear an amen? Okay, now let's look at some things I want you to put on your thinking cap because you've got to think through these things. We're going to learn the difference between how and why, how and why, and it's going to apply to the love of God. Somebody say how. And somebody say, why? Okay, I want you to think about this. How God loves us and why God loves us are two different discussions. And how we love God and why we love God are going to be something that we're going to get into today. But I want you to build on this to understand, okay? How something works has to do with function. Everybody say function. Thank you. And that's knowledge learned and discovered by science, okay? So a simple example of this would be how does Joe ride a bike? If you saw me riding my bike today, you could be like, Joe's pretty crazy riding a bike outside. But if somebody asked you and said, how does Joe ride a bike, you could probably figure it out. How many know how a bike works? About two or three of you? Come on. If you know how a bike works, and I see you nod or raise your hand. Okay. How does it work? It works through the momentum of the chain going around the gears that get the wheels moving. When the person balances the, the, the frame, it stays moving in the direction that the person steers, right? That's how a bike works. How many are into natural science, biology, and know how a baby is made? How many people know how a baby is made? Okay, all, all of you know how babies are made, amen? And married people love that God made making babies fun, amen? It could be painful, like, oh, we got to go make a baby. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. But praise God, he made it enjoyable, amen? It's just coming out. It hurts a little bit, right? It just hurts a little bit coming out. Okay, now, now watch. Man can discover through science how babies are born. And the more our microscopes get more powerful, the more we understand it. Now we understand seed and egg with the sperm in the woman's body, you know, the, the, the sperm attaching, you know, to the egg as it drops and then it attaches and then it grows. And, you know, a lot of babies have been born in this church. You guys have seen the developmental stages and now we can look online and see all the little pictures. And that's why we believe abortion is murder because it's life. Amen. And if it's not human life, what kind of life is it? Alien life, right? I love the illustration that somebody said if they found just an amoeba, just a cell on the moon, they would say there's life. And then here we see deep. DNA in a body, and then they kill it and say it's not living. God have mercy on our nation. Amen? So we can see how a baby is born, but we don't know why. Why are babies born? Why are there reproductive organs? Why are there humans? Why are there living creatures? Why is there a creation? And you see, why something works has to do with purpose, knowledge learned. Everybody say purpose. Thank you. Knowledge learned and discovered by revelation. Can you say revelation? Now think about this going back to the bicycle example. I'm riding the bicycle, and you know how I'm riding the bicycle, but do you know why I'm riding the bicycle? No, you don't. It could be my car broke down, and I got to go get some groceries. I'm riding my little bike. I got a little basket in front. Ding, ding, ding. And I got my little thing. Wouldn't that just be funny watching that? And I'm just riding down Irvin Park. I'm going to go to Jewel. Dling, dling, dling. That could be me. 
Or it could be I got carjacked, somebody stole my car, and then I found a bike on the road and I'm running from this guy or something crazy. I don't know. It could be I could be I could be in some movie running away like some movie type thing. Or it could be that I said, I don't care how cold it is, I'm gonna be like these white people from Wicker Park who put on all these crazy stuff and go jogging and riding bikes at twelve degrees in the weather. You ever see those, Rick, and they're mostly gringo, are they not? I'm not saying Latinos can't go out and do that, but it's mostly the white person. They got so much stuff on they're jogging around Wicker Park. And I'm looking at them going, A, you're crazy because you're running and you have nowhere to go. Because running should only be if you're running away from something, you know. And my dad, he's just the same way. My dad said, if you ever see me running, you should run too because I'm running away from something, you know. So same thing with me. You ever see me running, you better just take off running because pastor only runs away from things. And then the second thing is it's cold. Like go get into a gym. But they want to prove something. But now look at this with the baby. Look at this with the baby. Man can discover through science how a baby is born, but they can't discover why unless they have the revelation from God why babies are born. And look at this in Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. See, the Lord holds in his heart, in his mind, why he does what he does. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of his law. So if you want to know why babies are born, you need to talk to God and he'll reveal that to you. You want to know why there's evil in the world? Talk to God. He'll reveal that to you. You want to know why bad things happen in this world? Talk to God because the secret things belong to him and to those he reveals them. Can I get an amen? Now keep building upon that because now we get to this idea of, Pastor, what is the reason or why am I going to love God? Because a lot of us here, we already are Christians. We're convinced of it. But we live in a world that not necessarily understands how God is in everything. God is in everything. And so when they see us, they compare us to themselves in what I like to call human flourishing. So if you look at the top there, you see a little red triangle. This is how all of us would determine a good day. The atheist, the Muslim, the Buddhist, we're all going to determine a good day when all of these things work together, when math works. So take, for example, if you had a paycheck and you put it into the bank and you took out $100, you're expecting math to work and only $100 to be missing from your paycheck. Are you guys with me? If you woke up the next morning and there was $1,000 missing, that's not a good day, is it? But for you to have a good day, math has to work. Science has to work. So for you, me, the atheist, everybody has to depend on science. And we're talking about all kinds of science, natural science, which is biological science, and then the sciences of uh, the universe, cosmology. You know, if you woke up and the sun wasn't there, that would be a problem. That's a bad day if the sun's not there, if the rotation has stopped. Like the world is moving so fast. Like if it just stopped and gravitation stopped, we just go off into the space. Are you with me? That would be a bad day. And so natural laws have to work. Gravity have to work. Logic and reason has to work. Atheist, Christian, Muslim, it all works the same. Are you guys with me? Morals and values, though some people may differ a little bit here and there, generally the foundational moral values are all the same no matter who you are. For example, if I asked 100 people today, will, will I have a good family if I eat my children today with hot sauce or B, I raise my children to be good people? Which one do you think they're going to say? A, eat your children with hot sauce or B, raise your children? How many out of the 100 do you think are going to say raise your children, not eat your children? 
But why is that so common? Why is it? When animals eat their children, some do, some don't. It could be 50-50. A bear stumbles upon its, 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 own, its own cub, and it's time for hibernation. Wow, it will eat it. And all animal species, let's think about that. Why is it in ours? We would say, that's always wrong. That's never good. And then to have a good day, obviously, you've got to have life. You've got to have consciousness. And you've got to have some kind of a deeper meaning, a spirituality. Even atheists have deeper meanings. This is so funny. I, I mentioned it in the first service. One of the most famous atheists, Sam Harris, he wrote a book about spirituality. You know, And it's like, how in the world do you, do you write a book about spirituality being an atheist? But the whole point is, he calls it waking up. And I'm going to try to see if I can get it to pop up here. The whole point of his book, Waking Up, is for you to be able to be spiritual without religion. Now, have you ever heard anything more dumber in your life? But this is an atheist. And he knows on the inside there's something more than just flesh and blood. And so here's his book, Sam Harris the New York Times best-selling author of The End of Faith. He wrote the book Waking Up with a Face in the Clouds, a Face in the Clouds, a Guide to Spirituality Without Religion. You, my friend, are a man without a brain, right? You are a fool without a purpose. That's what he is. You will never have spirituality without religion, especially without God. And then the first reason why that is is because without God you don't have a spirit, and you can't have a spiritual hunger. And then existence itself, creation itself. And I'm not just talking about the planet, the solar systems. I'm talking about the entire known universe. It has to exist for you to have a good day. Well, now we have a problem here when we're talking to people who don't believe in the God of the Bible. Is why do we flourish with all of those things? Why is that tip of the iceberg there? See, the Christian can say it's because of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is the reason why there's uh, something rather than nothing. God is the reason why there's life, consciousness, and spirituality. God is the reason for morals and values, logic and reason, and natural laws of science and math. God is that reason. Now, let's say that you would disagree with that. I would challenge you, not out loud, but maybe from your friends' arguments, to think of what they would put there. Well, the first argument that somebody would say is, we don't need anything there. Now ask yourself this. With the logic that you have, the reason in your brain, does nothing produce these things or does something produce these things? Use logic. Can anything come from nothing? You know what nothing is? What rocks think about. Do rocks think about anything? That's nothing. Does nothing create and do these things? Now you understand why the Bible says the fool has said in their heart there is no God. That is foolish. The reason why people say they do not believe in God is not because down in their heart they truly believe there isn't a God. It's because truly in their heart they know there's a God and they are rebelling against the God they know. They're not rebelling against the Santa Claus that they know doesn't exist. They're rebelling against a lawgiver that they know does exist. It's hidden within their heart. It's in their conscious mind. And it's the very reason why they have logic. Okay, so we explain 
explain that. Now, the second thing is somebody may say, well, Pastor, I got you here. I got a lot of friends that believe in other religions. And, and you know what? They'll agree with everything you're saying here. My Muslim friend will agree. We, we need math. We need science. We need natural laws. We need all of this. But it's Allah of the Quran or it's Krishna, Krishna Vishnu or Brahma, uh, the, God of, the gods of India, or, or it's Buddha or Eastern thought or just the force of Star Wars. We, we could put anything there that's powerful, just anything right there. And maybe in an alternative world, maybe we could put Thor there because maybe there's a, a, a more advanced race that created this race. Why does it have to be God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Why must it be the Trinity, the triune God? How many want to know why it's got to be the Trinity? Does anybody want to learn about God today? Is there anything else more interesting you would like to talk about other than God? Okay, is it okay if we keep talking about God today in church? Go with me to the beginning. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. How many believe that teaches us something about creation? Okay, now watch. In the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I don't have time to explain why I use the Bible to prove the Bible, because that may be silly to some people, but I just don't have time to give outside reasons of why I trust the Bible. But listen at least to why our God is not like any other God, and then I think it will answer to you why our God is the, the real and only God. Okay, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now look at this interesting thing about creation. We're going to come back to chapter 1, but I want you to look at chapter 2's um, the way God creates mankind, okay? I want you to see this. It says here in Genesis chapter 2 that God creates the garden and he puts man in it. Now look at this right here. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. Somebody say a helper. Okay, and then God made him, and then out of him he made Eve, okay? And then he says over here that he gave man the ability to name every creature, okay? Now, I want you to think about this right here. Going back to Genesis chapter 1, everybody say image of God. Now, look at this thinking about what we just heard. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. What do you see right here? Them, two, representing singular God. Look at it. God created mankind in his own singular image. In the image of God, he created them. See, the male and female are the one mankind. That is the Hebrew word Adam. Adam means mankind there, not just the name of Adam. He was the first Adam, the first of all mankind. But mankind encompasses Adam, uh, male and female. So look at this. Two, male and female make the one image of God. Somebody say complex unity. Okay, now keep on uh, going back up because I'm working backwards on purpose so it will make more sense to you. Now go back to Genesis or excuse me, working back now here. And hear what it says uh, in Genesis chapter, oh, Lord, I missed my spot. Here we go. Genesis chapter 2. Oh, how many just don't like when you lose your place in the Bible? Oh, I had it so good in the first service. I thought I had it all memorized. Made man in his own image. I just read that, didn't I? Okay, Genesis, I may, that's okay, I want to go where to, okay, here we go, Genesis chapter 26, uh, 1 verse 26 was the verse above it, sorry, I, I knew I was working my way backwards, okay, now watch, I'm going to re re recap because I messed myself up, here we go, God creates Adam and Eve because Adam needs a helper, right, did you hear that, Adam needs a helper, then you see that God makes two in one image, his image is singular, but he makes two, now back up to 26 and you'll see it all come together and you could read through it ba back in the right order and you'll see it. Let what? Let 
us. Make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they, plural, may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds of the air. So he made mankind in his image, singular. Okay, everybody got that? Okay, you're ready for me to put it all together in just a second. Go to John 1.1. 1, 1. Go to John 1.1. 1, 1. Genesis chapter 1, John chapter 1. Put it together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here you see the Word, he's with God, and yet he is God. Does everybody see that? He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. How many things were made through him? All things. Without him nothing was made. Thank you. Okay, who is that word? Go on down to John, go on down to John 1.18. If you're not confused yet, I'm sorry. You will get confused in a little bit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> how, many, how many are ready not to be confused anymore? Say amen. Okay, just watch. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son is who, him, who is himself God, is in closest relationship with the Father, and has made him known. Let me just sit down and explain it to you. Are you guys ready? Okay, watch this. Adam gets Eve to be his helper. God does this because he makes Adam and Eve in his singular image to reflect his plural image. Watch. Who made Adam? Jesus made Adam. Jesus is God. Jesus made Adam in his image. Singular Adam in Jesus' singular image. Jesus is the image of a man because man is made in his image. But mankind, mankind, male and female and the offspring that they have are made in the plural image, our image, our likeness of the triune God. God is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three. How is mankind made? Mankind is made in three, male, female, and the children that they bear. Are you with me? Jesus is God, but he is not the Father. Man, woman, and children are all of the human race, but they are not each other. I am not my wife, and I am not my children. And so when you look at it, I'm going to put it together here for you guys. When you look at Genesis chapter 1, I'll just work it now the way it was meant to be read. I maybe confuse you guys that way. It worked better in the first service. Look at it this way, okay? Genesis chapter 1. He's making them. Now listen to how he makes them. He starts off, let us make mankind us. Let us. Who is speaking there? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let us make mankind in our image. How is mankind going to be made in the image of God? There's going to be a man. There's end up going to be a woman. And they're going to be fruitful and have children. That is the entire Mankind. That is how mankind is. Mankind is a husband, wife, and children. There's no other way to have mankind without husband, wife, children. Do you get that? Three components of mankind, three persons of the Trinity. Let us make the whole human race in our image. They will rule over the world. Does everybody get that? Okay. But how does God now make them? Jesus comes down to the earth walks on the ground, makes mankind, starting with Adam, singular, in his image. Do you see here it says us, our image, and here it says his own image? Does everybody see that? I'm going to slow down so much right now so we all can get it. Forget everything I just said. Let's just start from the beginning, okay? 
God made everything. Okay? Let us make mankind in our image. Let's start right here. Let us make mankind. Who is the us there? Okay. How do I know that? Can I just show you how I know that? So I don't want you to think I'm tricking you here, okay? When you look at the Bible, the Bible explains to us the mysteries of God in different places, okay? So you've got to just work your word so it will work for you. When Jesus said that we were going to make disciples of the nations, he said baptize them in the name, singular, one name. Not names of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but one name. One name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That name in the Old Testament is Yahweh. It was revealed to Moses. Moses said, who should I say sent me when I go to Pharaoh to get my people out of bondage? Everybody remember that? Does everybody remember? What was that movie called? The Prince, not the Princess, Prince of Egypt. Everybody saw Prince of Egypt? Okay. So Moses says, who am I going to say sent me? God says, tell him that I am, that I am has sent you. That is the name of Jehovah. That's what it means, Yahweh or Jehovah. Jehovah is the German version of it. uh, Yahweh is the Hebrew. We would just say generically God, God or Lord. Is everybody with me? How many gods are there? How many names of God are there? One, just one. Just we say it a bunch of different ways. There's one God, one name for him. There he is. It's not Billy. Yahweh, Jehovah. We call it God, Lord. Are you with me? It's all talking about the same person, singular name. But now watch, in the name of the Father, in the name, because the same name of the Father is for the Son, same name for the Son is for the Holy Spirit. Okay, we're just going to take our time, and I will end the message on this today. Literally, if you can understand who, <laughs> this is so funny. If you're supposed to love God, shouldn't you know who God is? <laughs> okay, <laughs> shouldn't we know who he is? Somebody's like, I didn't love him. I didn't love him the way he is. Well, how do you picture him? Well, I picture him with a beard and an old guy, and he's funny sometimes, and he's mean other times. Okay, if today's message, just so we can all get, because I know I got into politics today, which is I hardly ever do, but, of course, it's a hobby. You know, everybody says I don't like to talk about um, religion or politics, and those are the two things I love to talk about the most. But this is on subject here. We're talking about loving God. How many want to know the God we're supposed to love? Okay, so go back here. It's very simple. We go to here, back to Genesis, okay? Just going back to Genesis. Let us, okay? And God saw that it was good. Then God said, God, one name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? God said, Yahweh said, Elohim. This, the Elohim is the Hebrew word for God. God said, let us make man in our image. Who is God talking to there? The Trinity, the triune God, the Father is talking to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, saying, let us make mankind. Now, when you see the word mankind, because I think I got some of you guys confused on this, okay? We'll see if the uh, uh, NLT will help us out here a little bit. What he is saying there is, let's make the entire human race. Let's make the race. How many want to see the entire human race being made, right? We want to understand how we're getting here. This is where we came from. Let's see if, if, uh, here we go. Yes, this is a more uh, modern English. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So how are human beings going to be like the triune God? How are they going to be like that? They're going to be like that because they're going to live within a community. They're going to live within a family. Everybody say family. The family of God is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The family of the human race is father, mother, child. And you can have multiple children, but, but they're still children nonetheless. Does everybody get that? 
and we'll get to when children leave and start their own family, but just track with that. There's going to be three components of a family upon the earth that reflect the image of God, and there are three persons in the family of God. Does everybody get that? Okay, now let's keep going. In Genesis, it says, so God made mankind in his own image. It doesn't say our image there. It doesn't say plural image. It says his own. What just happened there? Did you get it? The verse before, he says, let us, let us make man in our image, plural. Now in verse 27, he said, so God created man in his. Not, it doesn't say, so God created man in their image. Do you understand? It's not a plural. His own image, okay? Now, how am I showing you who he is there? Where did I go to show you who he is actually on the earth forming dust saying you're going to look like me who is that and where did I go John 1 1 and who is that person right here doing this Jesus says I'm going to make you like me the father dwells in unapproachable light the Holy Spirit is there to glorify the father and the son the son is the image, the express reflection of the Father. He is the only one we will ever see in worship and glory. He sits on the throne. The Father may be next to him, around him, but the Father will not look like a man, okay? The Father's not going to look like some old guy, okay? Jesus is the image of the Father, okay? You guys understand that? Okay, now this is where we're talking. Why well, I showed you this. This one's in the Bible. Everybody like the Bible? Amen. I have kept my sanity through this talk. Have you kept yours? Okay. In the beginning, now watch, don't get confused. This is your Bible. In the beginning was the Word. Now, just to save us time, let's just call him Jesus right here, okay? In the beginning was Jesus. And, the, and Jesus was with God. And, the Jesus, and Jesus was with God. So he's with God. But now watch. And Jesus was God. Now, this is where I was going fast, and I think I confused some of you. Okay, Jesus is God, but he's not God. That seems confusing. Look at it again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Hey, God. Hey, Word. How are you doing? I'm God. I'm the Word. Okay, here you are. Okay. Oh, and then it says, and the Word was God. Go get me the board with the markers because we've gone to that level, uh, Ricky, in the uh, tone. Yeah, we've gone, we've gone to the board. We've gone to the board. Okay. In the beginning. Now, this is where we get confused. But before I unpack this, see if you get this part here. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Through him. He. So that's why when we go to Genesis and we say that he made man in his own image, who is the he there? Jesus. He's the word. He makes us. Look at verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. God breathed into us. Where did life come from? In him was life. Everybody get that? Don't look at this. Don't look there. Up here. No life here. This is dead. We're asking a question. In him was life. Is everybody with me? Okay, here we go. Here is the word. Here is God. And then now it says the word is God. That's where it looks like a contradiction. Do you guys get that? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word 
was God. Sounds like it's contradicting. But then it goes on to say this word, okay, this word has life in him. And out of him come all things. Everybody say all things. So all things come from the word. Now go on down to that place we had been before. Let's visit again John 1.18. Now it explains all that we're talking about. No one has ever seen God. Oh, my goodness, but I thought, like, we saw God in the Bible all the time. But the one and only Son, who's also known as the Word, that's the Word, Jesus, Son, all the same person. But the one and only Son is who is himself God and his closest relationship with who? The Father has made him known. So now, when we hear the word God here, we can hear it like this. When we read John 1, 1, we can read it like this to understand the context. I'm not switching around John's meaning. I'm explaining John's meaning. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with the Father, and Jesus is God like the Father. Jesus, God the Son, had life in him, and he gave life to all things. No one has ever seen the Father, but we have seen the Son, who is himself God. He has revealed to us the Father. Do you believe that? Because <laughs> I don't even know where to go from here. I got the board. I got the notes, okay? If we're going to love God, we better love God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christians, we better understand that, okay? Because if we don't understand the Trinity, we're in some trouble around here. Okay? There are some false doctrines that will trick you so easily. And I'll show you, just real easy, oneness Pentecostals who speak in tongues with us, dance, and have a good time in church, they will tell you that Jesus is the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and this is their scripture. They'll say, in the beginning was Jesus, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. They'll say that Jesus is the Father. That's what it's saying there. But the reason why I had to take time and explain 118 to you is it shows you that God the Father and God the Son both go by the name of God. So when it says here in John 1, 1, in the, the word was with God, he's not with himself here. He's with the other person in the Trinity known as the Father. And then when it says here that the word was God, it's not saying God was, uh, the word was the Father. It's saying he's also divine like the Father. He's divine like the Father is divine. And that's why John 1.18 clarifies it. And this will rock any Jehovah Witness or any cult that believes that Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit are not one triune God. Because it says, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in close relationship to the Father has made him known. You see, John had not mentioned the Father until this point in verse 18 because at that time all the Jewish people thought about was God as a singular name and as a singular person. When the Jewish people thought about God, they didn't see the revelations that we see now. When they thought about God, this is all that they thought. They thought God, Father. That's all that they thought. That's all that they thought. God is the Father. Anything else is not God. That's it. God, Father, that's the end of discussion. But John says, in the beginning was the Word. He was with God. Yes, he was with the Father, but he was also God. And now that caused a confusion for them. How can Jesus be with God and also be God? 
That's why he said in the, that's what, verse 1, this is what he's talking about. And then in verse 18, what he's talking about is he says, hey, the Father has multiple persons. The Father has, uh, the God, Godhead has a family. The God family is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, going back to the creation of mankind, why this has to be the God of the Bible. Because there is no other explanation for the human race. Mother, father, son, husband, wife, child, other than us being made in the image of God. No other God will do. The, tri, the, the doctrine of the Trinity was developed out of the disciples' lives as they were getting the revelation of Jesus to describe who God is. This doctrine had never existed until that time. There might have been triads, multiple gods. Somebody say, well, the Hindus had family of God. They had a family of God. No. The family of God would be competing gods living in some type of a community. No, these God, th this God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are equal. They're not fighting with each other. They are of the same nature. They have the same name. And so that's why people got confused and they said, oh, if you're saying that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, you're talking about three gods like the pagans. And we said, no, 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 no. Jesus taught us when we baptize, we baptize in one name, one singular name. There is not 20 names for our God. There's not 20 gods. There is one name, and that name is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is our God. Our God is in a family, and he created us in a family. Romans 11.36, for from him and through him and for him are all things. Think about that. Math is from Jesus, for Jesus, and about Jesus. Science is from Jesus, for Jesus, and about Jesus. Natural laws, for Jesus, about Jesus, and through Jesus. Morals and values are from him, through him, and for him. Life, consciousness, spirituality, for him, through him, and for him. From him, rather, through him, and for him. Existence itself, creation, from him, through him, and for him. So today, I'm answering the question, why you should love God. Of course, I mean, come on, guys. I could give you a Sunday school on how to love God. How to love God, pray, read your Bible, clap your hands in church, shout really loud. That's how you love God. Everybody love God? Okay, let's go home. Somebody get on the organ. Let's call it a day. But why? Why should you love God? Why? Oh, well, he's my creator. Well, what does that mean he's your creator? He created you in his image. The very fact that you came from a mother and a father shows you came from the triune God of the Bible. Three and one. You came from a unity of two coming together, creating a one. You came from father, mother, child. That's how you're here. Father, son, Holy Spirit. Are you getting it? You are the very image of God. The human race single, single, one of us, arms, legs, feet. We were made in the image of Jesus. Mankind, father, mother, child, made in the image of the triune God, the whole entire human race. So anybody who says, well, I can flourish and do good things without God and doing things for God, you're, you're living in a fantasy. You'll perish eternally in hell because you have rejected the God who gave you all of these things. Now, why does he love us? 
It says we love him because he first loved us. When you think about what God is doing, he is giving us his love so we can give it back to him and find our fulfillment in the very purpose why we were created. So imagine this. It's my birthday. It's like Father's Day or something. And I want Bethany, my 7-year-old, to go out and get me something. What am I going to do? Tell her to get a job and earn money? No, I'm going to give her money out of my pocket. Here is $10. Go get a Father's Day gift. But where did it come from? It came from me. But it's going to be her joy to go get it, isn't it? She's going to enjoy that, right? If I gave Bethany $10 to go buy me a gift, she would have the funnest time in the world. She would say, oh, Daddy would like this. Wrap it like this. Color it like this. Oh, this is for Daddy. It would not even cross her mind that it would be strange that I gave her the money for my own gift because she would say to herself, that's just how it is because I don't have any money. And it's the same thing with us. We don't have life. God gives it to us, but we give it back and find joy in life. We don't have our own morals and values, but God gives it to us. We give it back to him. We find joy in our morals and values. We will flourish when we see that everything has come from him, through him, and it's for him. We love him because he loved us. We care about him because he cared about us. We now love others because he cares about others. And when we do it, we feel good because God is love. When we're closest to love, we're closest to God. When we're closest to God, we're closest to love. And so no one can sit here today and say, I don't know how to love God. I'm not mushy like that. I don't know what you church people are talking about. No, all you have to do is let God love you, believe that he loves you, and then you will want to love him. You will want to give him everything because you'll know that for him and from him and through him are all things. That you were created in his image. Sexuality is a part of the image of God. He created it to show us love and union. Even the evil, even the bad, even the harmful things of this world show us the image of God. You would say, how does evil show us the image of God? Because it shows us what God is not. Darkness shows us love for the light. The coldness shows us love for the warmth. Hatred shows us love. And you see, now you look at God in the very beginning, and that's what I was trying to show you at the very beginning, and I hope you got it, is that God had a choice. He could have made you as a robot, not in his image, a one-off, meaning you would not be brought forth by love. You would not be created by union of father and mother. You would be a robot, and buttons would be turned on to program you to worship him. This is, these are the two options God had at the very beginning. God uh, had these two simple options. Do I make robots who worship me without a free will? Or do I make humans in my image, they do evil, but then they'll worship me on their own. That was his choice. Robots or free will creatures with evil? He had a choice. He said, here it is. I can make a robot. It's not going to be in my image. I'll push buttons, and it will worship me whenever I tell it to. And there will be no evil in the world. It will be a cartoon world of some sort. Do you get it? It would just be his own little creation. They just worship him on, boop, 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 worship God. Boop, 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 boop. Okay, there you go. Or he said, I can create free creatures that worship me out of their own free will. But here's the thing. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll hurt each other. Sometimes they will diminish my image. Sometimes they'll break my heart. But yet, out of that group, the ones I invite will come. And then I'll choose them for eternity. All are invited in the human race to be chosen with God in the kingdom. He's given the choice to everyone, but it's only those who come and accept his love that now 
can give it back to him. Do you understand your purpose now? That's why we love him. Now, how many want to get to the message and learn how to love him? Amen. Let's get to how we love him. And my message will be shorter than the introduction. But I now want to give you how we love him. Look with me quickly. Mark 12, 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, out of all the, he asked them, out of all the commandments, Jesus, what is the most important? So here's the man asking Jesus, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? Now look what Jesus says. The most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One God, multiple persons. One God, multiple persons. Love, here's the most important one. Love the Lord your God. Love the Father. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Did you use your mind today to know who God was? That's loving God. Love God with all your heart, with all your passion. That's why I'm yelling. With all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Why? Why? Because from him, for him, and to him are all things. I love him with all my mind because he gave me my mind. I love him with my family because my family is a reflection of him. I love him with my life because my life was a gift from God. I love him in math. I love him on my job. I love him every day, ups and downs, because all things are from him, through him, and for him. And so Jesus taught us that. And then after he said that, he said, the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, if I don't know who I am, I can never love you for who you are. My love for you is dictated on how I love myself. Why is that violence so prevalent? Yeah, like we said in the inner city or those mass murders, it's because people don't love themselves as they ought to. Now, some people call vanity love for self, but true love for self is a love that humbles oneself to God and sees yourself in his image. And then if you see yourself as the image of Jesus, you see your neighbor as the image of Jesus. So you love them like you love yourself, not out of vanity, but out of purity and humility and honor that we, the human race, would be made in the image of God. That Jesus would care so much about us. And so then how did he say, how, how, how do I love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind? Like, how am I going to do that? Am I going to do that through interpretive dance? Interpretive dance is awesome, but am I going to do it through that? I'm going to do it in these two simple ways, and it will cover everything else I do for him. Number one, I'm going to love him through worship. Everybody turn to John 4, 23 quickly. I'm going to love him through worship. Now, some people think that worship is just coming to church and singing a song. Sure, that encompasses it, and sure, dancing encompasses it. But how did he teach us to worship? Look at what it says, John 4, 23. It says here, yet a time is coming. This is Jesus talking, and has now come when true worshipers, somebody say true worshipers, thank you, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So here, look at this. Watch this, watch this. Trinity right in front of you. Triune, did you get it? Father seeking worshipers. Jesus, the Son, telling us how to be a worshiper like him because we're made in his image. We're his brothers and sisters. And the Spirit is what connects us. I was made to worship. I was made for fellowship with God. So do I just worship God 
in spirit and in truth when I clap my hands and I come to church. No, I worship God every day through all that I do when His Holy Spirit is with me and I'm living by His truth. So when each of you go to your jobs, when Sister Soldier goes to her job, when Ashley goes to her job and she takes care of children tomorrow and works in a daycare, she's worshiping God. Why? Because she's connected through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is giving her the truth about what she does. And so the truth is these children are made in the image of God. And her work is pleasing to God. And she's worshiping. And when Tony goes to do physical therapy and do massage therapy, he is worshiping God. He is in the image of Jesus. Jesus is in him by the Holy Spirit. And the Father is seeking Tony tomorrow on the job to say, Holy Spirit, I'm here for you. May your truth come through me and what I do here. Whatever is true comes from God. Whatever is true. Remember we learned that at the beginning. Whatever is true, all of this comes from God. There will be nothing you do tomorrow that doesn't come from this if it's good. There'll be nothing you do tomorrow. There'll be nothing that will flourish tomorrow that doesn't come from this. And you know why? It's because God loves you. And now you can say, I love you back, God. You can say, I love you back. I worship you because these things are from you, through you, and for you. And then lastly, what do we do? We obey him. We obey him. We take what he says serious. We've already heard it. We'll read it again, John 14, 15. We heard it today. My friends, keep my commands in John 15. But Jesus said it also in John 14, 23. You see it clearly. Jesus connects commands to believing in him, commands to living for him, commands to loving him. Why is that so important? It's because commands are true to his nature. If my daughter says to me, Dad, I love you, but I hate your rule of cleaning up my bedroom, does she really love me? You can't love me and divorce me from my words and what I believe. You could say, well, I love you as a person, but I don't love what you believe. Well, then you don't really love me as a person. You see, what our beliefs are, are connected to who we are. Now, we can say we love you as we love the human race and how God loves the world and doesn't agree with the world. Yes, but true love wants the transformation of those beliefs. God loves you the way you are, but too much to let you stay that way. So his idea is saying, not only do I just want to love you from a distance, I want to love you and change what you believe about yourself and the world. And that's why he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Because he's saying, you just can't love me and not love what I say. You just can't really love me and be in relationship with me and not love what I do. See, if my wife said to me, Joe, I love you, but I don't like the, uh, the idea of not having adulterous affairs, she really doesn't love me. And we can't say to God, I love you, but I want to divorce you from your word. Because then what we don't, what we have now is not the God of the Bible, but we have a God we made in our own image. Instead of us being transformed into the image of God, we're trying to make God in our image. Instead of us saying, God, you're all of this, and I want to be all of that and love you, now what we're saying is, God, I love all of this, and if you love me, you'll change. You'll change, God. You'll change your standards. And God says, no, 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 no. You change. You change. You love me. How many understand that? So in review, to put it all together, I want you to see it in closing today. There's a difference between how and why we understand things. 
when it comes to understanding how God loves us, we understand that he loves us through Jesus, and this is why he loves us, because we are his creation. Now, how do we love him back? We love him back by accepting that love that he's given to us. That's it. God gives you the $5, you go spend it on him. God gives you $1,000, you go spend it on him. God gives you his love, you spend it on him. And how are we going to do that? With all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're going to worship him in our lives. We're not just going to worship him when we're here at church. We're not going to say that God is boring and Lady Gaga is exciting. No, we're, we're going to say whatever about me that likes Lady Gaga is going to change until it's nothing but Christ and Lady Gaga. And if Lady Gaga doesn't remain, then I'll be without Lady Gaga. Whatever I love about food, I'll love it the way Christ loves it until nothing else remains but Christ in my diet. I'll love God on my job and do all things unto him until there's nothing but God on my job. You see, everything I'll do will now be for him, through him, and about him. Because that's what everything was made for. Now, I want you to think about this in closing. I want you to think about how the world was made as a divine romance. That this was the purpose for man. That this was the purpose for science. That this was the purpose for family. You see, some of us may think that, oh, that's so neat. I get to see God in my family. No, 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 no. The whole reason why you have a family is so you can see God. I'll show you that in just a moment. I have about three closings now, so hang on. The only reason, he knows I'm telling the truth. He was in the first service, right? The plane is landing. You ever been on a plane? <laughs> Prepare for landing. We'll be uh, dropping down in about 30 minutes, okay? So this is my first closing here. When you're understanding family. No, no, no. It's not like, oh, that's cute. I see family and I see God. No, 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 no. The entire purpose of family is God. Entire purpose. Oh, that's kind of cute, Joe, that you just made me, you know, see God on my job. That's really cool. That's cool. I'll play football for Jesus now. I'll, I'll go become a dentist for Jesus. No, 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 no. The whole entire reason why you have teeth, a brain, and all is Jesus. That, that's the entire reason. It's, the, it's, it's not the other way around. Do you understand that? It's the entire reason you're sitting here today. So whether or not anybody else wants to admit it, it doesn't matter. It's the truth. It's the truth of why you're here. And so what I want you to do is think about this. You are in a divine romance where God is coming after your heart. Because God knows you're not so shallow as you may pretend to be, especially when it comes to discussions about religion. When I talk to you guys about Christ, and that's what I mean by religion, is, is having a relationship with him in that general sense. It's like some people here want to play it off like, ah, man, I'm not really religious. I'm not really into that God stuff. You know, that's not really me. But no, you're, you're not being honest with yourself. You're not as shallow as you're making yourself out to be because, no, you are passionate about things. You do love things. It's just that you're loving the wrong things the wrong way. You need to start loving the right things the right way. You love to draw. The reason why you love to draw is because God made you an artist, because he's an artist. Oh, I just don't get into all that church stuff. I love, to, I love to do art. No, if you understood why you did art, you would love church more than you love art. It doesn't mean you're going to love a pastor who speaks at you for an hour about deep things. No, it just means you'll love what we're doing here more than what you're doing here. You see, because some of you use this here on a Sunday as a pit stop to go do all the other stuff you want. And, and it's like today, it's like you just giving God a tip. Like, hey, God, thanks for my life. I'm just going to stop by for a couple hours, tell you I love you, and I'll be out doing all my other stuff. We're good, right? We're good. No, you have no idea. You have no idea. This, this, what we do here is the taste of the kingdom of God, which we'll do forever. 
this. The Bible says the glory of God will one day cover this earth as the waters cover the sea. The glory of God will what life will be about. What do you think you're going to do in heaven? Talk about who won the playoffs? When you get to heaven, you're going to talk to Paul. You'll have a conscious mind. You will talk to Paul about the revelations of God. That's what you will do. You will worship God. You will learn of God. You will study. You will keep growing. Your brain was meant to absorb information. Your body was meant to live in the glory of God. That's why it's dying now without it. Your body is dying because it doesn't have the glory of God on it. Your resurrected body will. The Bible says we'll be kings in his kingdom. We'll be ruling and reigning with him. We'll be learning and teaching other nations about him. There's a time of a thousand years where the Christians rule with Christ upon this earth for that one simple fact to show all the fans of Lady Gaga, to show all the fans of uh, Oprah Winfrey that you were wrong. You were worshiping idols. Our God is cooler than what you did. To show all the sports fans. Nothing wrong with some of these things. Don't get me wrong. But God is going to show us. I was telling you this all along. I was better than football. I was better than I was better than NASCAR. I was better than money. He'll rule that way for a thousand years. So people will go, I got it now. You shine brighter than the sun. Your presence fills me with pleasures forevermore. Your love is deeper than my soul. Fills me overflowing. Think about that. His love is deeper than your soul. Sometimes you feel like your pain goes so down. And, he, and here's what it's about. He's saying, I've got you in a love story. Here it is. Every one of you are the main characters of God's love story. Every one of you are main characters. And you are in a world right now. Think about this. Of magic and mystery. You see miracles every now and then. You see powerful things, things that are mysterious. And yet, there's darkness in this world. There's, and at the same time, you see a lot of darkness. You see flickering starlight. It's a world where you live where terrible things happen and wonderful things do too. It's a world where goodness is pitted against evil. You see it every day. My child learns it just from playing with his toys. Love against hate, anger or order against chaos. You're in a world of great struggle where often it's hard to be sure who belongs to which side because appearances are endlessly deceptive. Don't you sometimes get confused who's on God's side, what's the right way? Yet for all its confusion and wildness, you live in a world where the battle ultimately goes to the good, who live happily ever after. Isn't there a part of you today that says, I believe this ends well? I know there's problems here, but there's a part of me that believes this ends well. My pain matters to God. There's a purpose in my pain. Isn't there a part of you that says there's a reason to why snowflakes are beautiful and oceans are beautiful and sunsets are beautiful, and there's a reason why there's evil like ISIS and an evil like abortion. There's a reason for this, and somehow, some way, it works out. Good wins. Because you believe that you We'll see everybody, good and evil alike, one day be known by their true name. Sinner or saint. One day all the veils are taken away, and this world will be known for what it is, and every person will be known for what it is. And let me just tell you right now, every person you are around right now is an eternal being, either one of glory or one of damnation. You are around eternal beings. Nobody is an ordinary 
creature here. We are made in the divine image of God, either to be glorified like him in the noonday sun or to be the most hideous of creature in damnation forever like Satan himself. There are no ordinary people here. You are in a divine romance where good and evil are pitted against each other, and you are the main character. And here's the thing, is that this fairy tale that I'm telling you of the gospel has one crucial difference from all other fairy tales, which is that the claim that Jesus made, that it is true, and that it not only happened once upon a time, but has kept on happening ever since, and is still happening today. You are in the romance right now. What are you doing with God? You see, every one of us is in your play. We are characters in each other's movie. You are the star. I am your character. You will go home today and you'll write in your journal, I went to church and I didn't really understand what he was talking about. And then he yelled at me for a little bit. But then it was a cool story at the end. And I'm so happy because I understand something more about Jesus. And then I'll go home and write in my journal. Man, second service really had no idea what I was talking about. I had to get out the board. It took me a long time to explain it. I wish I went wakeboarding that now. It's snowboarding. No, I'm just kidding. I shouldn't be confessing that stuff. Lord, help me. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, we're, we're, all, we're all in each other's play right now. We're all bumping into each other. And what is God to us? That's the question. Is what is God to you? See, when you look at the story of creation, which I did take time to do, and I actually love doing that. I could be here all day. I don't wish I was wakeboarding or snowboarding because this is why I wakeboard and snowboard. God created Man, because he loves love stories. See, he doesn't like robots. Otherwise, that's what we would have been. So the very fact that you have questions about God, that you doubt him sometimes, the very fact that you don't understand it all is pleasing to him in the sense that you're a free creature. Read the Bible. Job didn't understand God. I don't always understand God. Read the stories of the disciples. They don't always understand God. But Jesus loves it. Jesus is like, oh, man, Peter, you fell in the water. Remember that? But you walked on water, didn't you, Peter? Can't you see Jesus talking like that? Peter, what was the difference between you when you walked and when you fell? Oh, because I had my eyes on you, Jesus. And when I had my eyes on you, I could do the impossible. uh, Peter, one day I'm going back to heaven. Will you still keep your eyes on me? What are you going to do when everybody else leaves you, Peter? Will you still keep your eyes on me? I mean, can't you see that being the heart of Jesus? Jesus loves stories. I mean, think about it. Paul's a Jewish man persecuting Christians, and Jesus shows up to him, blinds him for three days, and says, Peter, I mean, Paul, guess what? You know all these guys you went to go kill? You know all those guys? Guess what? Those were my people. You're actually killing my people. And here's the funny part, Paul. You're going to be one of them. And now... Paul, you're going to learn what it's like to suffer in my name. He didn't say, Paul, you're going to become a millionaire, write your best life now book and fill up a mega stadium. He said, no, 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 Paul, here's the deal. Here's the deal, Paul. I'm going to show you how to suffer now for me. Paul could have walked away and said, I don't want that. But you know what Paul said? Oh, my goodness, I would rather suffer for Jesus and know the greatest love of my life than to never suffer for him and not know him at all. Has anybody ever here ever suffered for love? You ever suffered as a parent for your children? You have so much love for them. You have so much care for them. And when they hurt, when they're at pain, it hurts you. And at that moment of weakness, you almost wish, man, I wish I didn't love you so much. Now you understand the cross. Jesus is looking at you going, 
I love you so much, it hurts. He's saying, I couldn't love you from heaven to earth like this any longer. I had to come be with you. That's John 1.14. The word made his tabernacle, his dwelling among us. God comes to earth because he loves us. He loves stories. And here's the last thing I want you to think about is that we live in that narrative and we live in that love story. And existence itself has a story shape to it. We have in a beginning and we have an end. My aunt died last week at 72 years old. When I went to go see her in hospice, you know what she was doing? She was praising God. She was praising God. What will you do at the end of your story? She was praising God. And then the thing that brought tears to my eyes, because she was a godly woman, she helped lead my dad to the Lord, is I might cry even just thinking about this, but she asked me how Nancy was. And I said, oh, Aunt Joanne, Nancy's doing good. Thank you so much for asking. I'm like thinking, why, why are we even talking about a broken broken ankle. You're dying of cancer. She had bone cancer. She had so much morphine in her body. It was so painful for her at the end. But she's talking about my wife. And I'm like thinking, let's just go talk about something else. You know, I want to talk about you. I want to talk about whatever you want. It's my last time seeing you. And you know what? This is this bring tears to my eyes. You know what she said? Tell her I'm praying for her. My, my aunt dying of cancer instead of shaking her fist at God says, God's still my best friend. He's the lover of my soul. I'm going out with a bang, and I'm still praying that he does good things upon this earth. That's the end of those who love God. They're best friends with Jesus. You see, from here to heaven, it's not the distance of eternity for a friend of God, because that's what Jesus wanted us to be. No, but from here to heaven is only the distance from your heart to his. See, how close are you to God? I always have heard preachers say this, and I never got it when I was young in the Lord. But now that I've been serving God for 20 years, I think I finally get it. They said, when I go to meet Jesus, I don't want to be there surprised. I want to go to meet Jesus like I was talking to him yesterday because I was. And now after 20 years of serving God, that's what it feels like. Literally, if I died in that car accident with my wife, I know I would be worshiping. I know I'd be, you know, just up in his presence. But I know literally I would say, I know that voice. I know this man. I know him. He was the one that met me November 5th, 1995. He was the one that comforted me through my... I know you, Jesus. You were the one I would take walks with every day. You were the one that healed my heart when I went through... God, you, I know you. I know that voice, Jesus. Now I see you. Now I see you. See, we have a plot. We have characters. And we have a happy ending where the hero captures the heart of his lover by sacrificing everything for her. And I want to end with this. This is my third closing. This is now the end. If, and it's, I don't want to say it was your fault, but we, we could have been a little bit earlier, okay? Come ready next time, okay? You guys come ready to study next time. Every man, everybody say, help us, Lord. Oh, but I don't know if you're all ready for this closing right here. Now watch this. Watch this. Here we go. Talking about the church, Ephesians 5, verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. A, a child. He's a man now, but he was a child of his father and mother. Do you see the three? For this reason, a man, the child of his father and mother, will leave those 
to start his own. Now he, the father, the soon-to-be father, husband, will go to be with his wife, and then he'll what? Make a child. And then that child, if he's a man, will leave. You know, and it starts again, or the woman waits to receive. And that's the way the man, the human race was made. Mankind. Children, father, mother. Now this one grown up will leave his father and his mother and will be united to his wife, becoming a father and a husband. And watch, the two will become what? One. That's mind-blowing. Wow, we become one. I love becoming one. How many are happy one is a good thing in the Bible? Amen? How many know what that looks like? Amen? Don't be pornographic right now, but how many knows what that looks like? Here's a, <laughs> that's what it looks like. They become one. You ever seen like those those little insects, they fly around as they're mating, they're one? Have I lost you? Okay. But sometimes they have, come on. You guys, see, look how you guys make it all long like that. You guys are the ones who make it long. Now I got to put up here insects mating. Why you guys got to be like that? Oh my gosh. Guys, making it hard on me. Please, no pornography, Jesus. No pornography, Jesus. Here we go. Okay, here we go. Look, look, look. These are insects made. I want to see the little two flying together here. Here we go. Look at this. Look at this. We're all more than 11 years old, so we can handle this, right? <laughs> if you guys have not learned these lessons, these are literally, less, literally the lessons of the birds and the bees. They become one. Have any ever seen somebody like, like the insects like this flying around? Anybody ever seen that? They just, they'll just fly around mating. Yeah, little love bugs, they just fly around mating. That's what God's talking about. You shall become one. It's not a sex, it's not a dirty thing. The world has corrupted it to be dirty, to make us blush, right? But in purity, it's holy, right? Now watch this, verse 32. This, this of two becoming one and creating another baby, this is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. You see, this is why we're doing what we do here. It's all about Christ and the church. You see, if you, th if you think to yourself, oh, man, this is just a speed bump from my week, and, Pastor, you, you just went too long. i got to get back to my family or trying to find a family or making a family or eating to prepare myself for a family. If, if you're thinking that's what life's about, you missed it. I used to think that way, too, even as a Christian, like, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. Jerry, we, we come to the keyboard or guitar, whatever instrument you play, please, and will you move this? Let's shut it down. I see them wanting me to close down here. we got to leave. Otherwise, they won't come back next week. Amen. Okay. I used to think this when I was a new Christian. Okay, I was a sinner. I was on drugs. This is my story. I was arrested eight times, and Jesus loved me, and he loved me, and he wanted to help me. So he cleaned me up. He turned my life around. He brought me to church, and, and church was a place that I got to become a better person and learn the commands of God. And, and now I got a family. I'm married. I've got kids. And, and that was the reason why God did all that, right? God saved me because he wanted me to be a happy father, a good husband, to have children. No. No, 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 no. God did all of that. Father, husband, children. So I would love the church more. So I would love the church more. Because when I die... The moment I die, let's say I died in that car accident, Bethany doesn't have a father anymore. Some of you don't have fathers or mothers anymore. They're gone. 
Bye. Never see you again. If I would have died, there I would be. Bethany, where's dad? There he is. Ask dad to go play ball with you, Lucas. Come on, Lucas. Go ask dad to teach you how to snowboard. No father. No father. Are you listening to me? And the moment I would have died, I'm no longer a father. I am only the church or I'm going to hell. I'm either that son or daughter that became a part of this in God's kingdom reflecting his image or I am going to hell. It's that simple. I am no longer a father there. My children don't get to come with me. I'm no longer a husband there. My wife doesn't get to come with me. I am a son or a daughter in God's church or I'm going to hell because everything is about his church. So what you do here is not your speed bump throughout the week. What you do here is the very reason why God created you. Now, does he want us to live here? No. He wants us to take what we're given here and go place it into this world to infect the world with this church. So where is the church going to be after it leaves the building called church? Well, tomorrow I'll be teaching at Bible college, giving the knowledge of God to students. Where will you be? Well, I'll be answering phones, Pastor, helping people get passports. Worship God and be obedient to His commands, and you'll be the church on your job. Well, Pastor, I'm going to be, uh, you know, cutting people's hair or doing whatever. Go there with God, and you will be the church there. And one day, when we die and go to heaven, we don't go as pastors. We don't go as lawyers, thank God. We don't go as anything else other than sons and daughters, and then you know what he's going to do? He's going to look at you, and he's going to say, did you do what my church did? Now you may say, well, pastors, Metro Praise the only church. No, no, no. I'm just saying this is the church you are a part of, right? If this is not the church you want to be a part of, then you got to go do what they're doing. Does everybody get that? Because you just can't show up to Jesus and be like, Jesus, I was kind of like church hopping, and I didn't really find a church, and so I didn't really do a lot. Is that okay? He's going to be like, wasted time. He's going to burn up your works. Can you go get Rachel for me, please? I know you're doing awesome, but I want to sing a special song at the end. Thank you. You see, nobody gets out of this without doing this. Nobody. So did we love God and love people? Did we make disciples that make disciples? That's not just for me. That's for everybody. Does everybody get that? And so in closing for the fifth time, I had two extra closings here, but for the last closing, I want to ask you in prayer to seek your heart and go, God, am I where I'm supposed to be? Am I learning about you the way I'm supposed to? And am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Because if you're not, you need to go to be where you're, need, where you're needed at. Because if, if it's not here, then you need to go somewhere. Thank you, Jerry. I appreciate you. Thank you. I'll just have, uh, yeah, yeah. That was awkward. Um, can we, Tony, can we get you to hit the, <laughs> the lights right here? <sighs> Did you learn about the Trinity today? Will you love him as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Let's do it right now. Let's do it right now. Let's just close our eyes, you know. Focus on Jesus. Jesus, we need you. Lord, I pray for everyone here today, starting with myself, that we wouldn't miss who you are, that we would understand you and grasp you. 
so that we can love you and worship you. Do you know what it's like to worship God in your life right now? Have you done it before? If not, why not ask God how to do it? I met a man the other day who worked for the Air Force. He loved God so much. He taught mathematics to the pilots. How do you love God as a mathematical professor in the Air Force? God will tell him. I got an idea, though. You're going to have the Holy Spirit. You're going to worship God in whatever you do. Do it for his glory. And then when you teach math, you're going to teach the truth. Tell the truth about math. A lot of mothers here, wives here, husbands. How do you do that? Well, I know the basics. You're going to love your spouse as Christ loves you. You're going to have a deeper revelation of God every day. You're going to ask every day for more love, more patience. And as you receive and understand more of God's love and patience, you'll give it more. But I don't know what it's like in your home. What does that look like? Does it look like coffee talks in the morning or bed talk after the busy day in your bedroom? What does your marriage look like living for God? How do you love God there? He'll tell you. Young people, I used to be young once. How are you going to love God tomorrow? Well, here's the basics. You're going to love God whether you're in high school or college. You're going to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you're going to do whatever you're doing, schoolwork, obeying your parents. You're going to do it unto God. You're going to worship Him that way. And then you're going to live out the truth. You're going to study for the truth, get good grades. You're going to live holy for the truth and purity. You're not going to break the law. You're going to keep the law because you believe in the truth of civil government. And you're going to grow up and be who God calls you to be, right? Who here could say, I don't need to love God in my everyday life? Who honestly could say that? No one. And who could also say, I've loved God enough. Okay, I've already done that. I'm moving on to the next thing. Thank you very much. No, this will be our life. A few more moments, you and God. Lord, help me to spend the $5 you gave me on you. Father, help me to love you with the love you gave me. Help me to love you in my job, love you with my art, love you with my family. A few more moments. And now before we, we close out, I want to ask you just to sing this song and, and Jose, please get the words up there because it's so simple for us to get this in our heart, but it's profound when it goes deep. God, you know, if you only remember one thing today, just remember this. I love him because he loved me, right? That's why we're going to love God, but it goes so much deeper than that. Just before we sing this song, I just want to have everybody think about the hardest time you've ever went through in your life hardest time. It's just the most difficult time, right? Where God didn't seem like he was there or the pain, you know. Just think about it, right? Just put it in your heart just for a moment. And then go now, just emotionally on a roller coaster, go now to the next thing. Go to the greatest day, the greatest day. I mean, that day you watched that baby be born, that day you graduated college for some of you young people, whatever. Just the greatest day, the day you got married or the day you're know something worked out in your favor right now those two things right there those two things 
God never changed. All that changed was that on one day, you experienced more of what he created you for. And the other day, you experienced why he died for you or what he died for. One day you were living for what he wants you to live for, and the other reason you experienced why what he died for. Both of them, God was the same in. With us in our tragedies, with us in our victories, and he's saying, do you see me there? In that tragedy, do you see him on the cross suffering for you, taking your pain, taking your spot? And on the day of victory, do you see him as the reason for your strength, the reason for your love, the reason for your joy? Because now it's with that heart we sing this song. Jesus, lover of my soul. Let's sing it before we go. Jesus, you're the lover of my soul. Jesus, Jesus, I will never let you go. See, think about this. You've taken me from the miry clay. And you've set my feet upon a rock. And now I know. I love you, Jesus. Think about this. Though my world may fall, on those bad days, I'll never let you go. Because you're my Savior. You're the one that saves me on those days. You're my closest friend. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to worship you until the very end. Now if we could all stand up. Let's sing it before we go one more time. Jesus, lover of my soul. Come on. Jesus, I will never let you go. Jesus, I will never let you go. You have taken me literally from the dirt, made me in your image. You've set me on a rock. Come on. Yes, you have. You've set my feet upon And now I know. See, I know you better, Jesus, so I can love you better. I love you, Jesus. And I need you, though my world may fall, because it does every time without you. I'm never letting you go. You're my Savior. You're the one who came for me. And you're my closest friend walking with me through every valley and mountaintop. And I will worship you. Just that last part right there. I love you, Jesus. but he was an evangelist traveling around the country. And he took my younger friend, he's an older guy, so he took my friend who was my age to be his understudy to go learn how to preach. And 
this man was so just amazing with God. He just loved God. He loved people. That my friend, as a young pastor, a young minister, he wanted to know the secret of this man's life. And the man had wrote a book called Get a Life, a Prayer Life. And it talked about how his secret of knowing Jesus was his love for prayer, just talking to God. Not like, oh, Father, thou out. No, just talking to God. He would he learned to talk to God everywhere. He just was close to God. In his thoughts, he was just thinking about God. When he was discouraged, you, you know, think to God, talk to God. And so my friend, you know, read the book, understood it, and, and he just, just wasn't enough for him. You know, he understood the book, but it just wasn't enough. So he said to, said to this, this pastor, this awesome man of God, he said, can I join you? in your prayer closet. Can I like see how you do it? I want to I want to know, man, like what you do when you pray cuz you're amazing. Like you just love God and people and I get the book and I understand it, but I want to see what it looks like. And you're, you know, you're my mentor, so will you show me? And the guy said, "No, no, no, no. I mean, it's this is just me and God. You know, I'm just hanging out with God. I don't want you there. That would distract me." And then eventually my friend kept wearing them down and then Finally, the guy, you know, he stopped and asked God. He said, God, should, should I let this young man come in my prayer closet? God said, yep, let him, let him come into your prayer, your prayer time. So they're in a hotel room, and, you know, it's about ready for the guy to pray. And my friend's waiting, you know. He's just waiting for the angels to come, you know, the atmosphere to change, something to glow or whatever. And all of a sudden... He sees this mighty man of God, this preacher in front of thousands. He sees him just kind of stand up from the bed that he was sitting on. And he hears him just starting to cry. Just kind of crying. And all of a sudden he's watching him and he just watches this man put out his hand. And he says, Jesus, will you walk with me today? Because I need you more than I've ever needed you before. And my friend at that moment says he just fell to his face and he realized that it wasn't some great man that was doing great things. It was just somebody who loved God with everything. And he had just finally saw what it just looked like when someone just takes off the mask and just says, I am dirt without you. I am nothing without you. But you love me, and you care for me, and I am honored to be with you today. And so will you walk with me? And I can just imagine that was what it was like for the disciples to be with Jesus, the Son of God on the earth. And they were just with him, and they missed it, and they didn't understand it. And at the end, it's in the same passage of John, the same book, the same chapters. One of the disciples says, Jesus, you're going. Where are you going? And he goes, I'm going to be back with my Father. And they go, Jesus, just show us the Father then. Come on, show us. Show us the Father, man. We want to see him. No one's ever seen him. We want to see him. And Jesus looked right at him and said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then their hearts were open and they saw the glory of God. My friends, God walked among us. Not God the Father because no one's seen him, but God the Son. He's walked among us. 
He was crucified for us. He rose from the dead, and he said he's coming back. And what he's left with us is a call, an invitation. Will you be my friend? And will you be in the church that I'm building in which the gates of hell will not prevail? Will you see your marriage? Will you see your life? Will you see all that you do as I love the church? Will you see it for my glory? Because I'm coming back for my church, my blameless, spotless bride. Will you love me and love my church, my body? That's why, my friends, I have no problem having three-hour services. You talk to Rachel. We've had five-hour services. I don't preach by a clock. I don't care anymore. I don't care about empty seats. I, I mean, I want them to be filled, but I won't fill them the wrong way. If I can't have a church this way, I don't want one at all. I've already turned, you know how many times I turned down to go preach other places? I have people right now, Pastor, you, you know, come to, no, 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 no. This is not my time. I'm here now. This is where I belong. Why, friends, if you're here listening to my voice, we're going to close out in prayer. And I want you to get this real clear. It's not about a building called Metro Praise International. It's about the church. It's about the people here. And it's about you and I doing what we're supposed to do. And if we come back next week, we do it again. And then we do it again, and we do it again until he comes back. And we show this city that he's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy of our street ministers going out to preach last night as they did in that cold, snowy weather. I would go out to Belmont and Clark and preach. Some of them would yell at us, spit at us, but we would preach the gospel to them, to Ohio Park, to this, to this city, because we love them as Christ loved us. One of these elders right here, whoever wants to pray, raise up your hand because I feel the anointing and I just don't want to pick you out of the flesh. Whoever says you have a word from God to close us out in a powerful prayer, just raise your hand and I'll let one of you pray. And until we pray, we won't close. But I feel Jesus here. I'll just set the mic down. Father, we worship you, Jesus. We worship you, God. Lord, you are sovereign. Lord, you're in control, God. Lord, you know the beginning from the end, oh God. That's why we trust you, God. That's why we worship you, God. That's why we lay down our lives, oh God. You are the lover of our soul, God. You're the king of our heart, oh God. You're the ruler of our lives, oh Lord. Jesus, we trust you, God. We need you, God. Oh, though, God, we confess that apart from you, we can't do nothing, oh, God. We can do no good, Lord. Lord Jesus, you're the good in our lives, oh, Lord. You're the light of our lives, oh, God, in this dark world, Lord. We need you. Use us, God. Fill us up. Fill us up, my God, that we can continue to be you, Lord, to our family. That we will be you, God, to our friends. That we will be you, God, to this city, oh, Lord. Jesus, oh, Lord. Oh, God, we thank you, God, for all that you are. God, we thank you for all that you're going to do, Lord. Lord, we are desperate for you, God. Chicago needs you, Lord. This city needs you. America needs you, God. We need you, Lord. Forgive us, oh, God. Forgive us, oh, Jesus, for what we've done, oh, God. 
for our lukewarmness, oh God. Forgive us, oh God, for our sins. Forgive us, oh God, for the hate and the selfishness, oh Lord. Forgive us for the violence, oh Lord. Forgive us, oh God, for pride, oh Lord, for greed, oh Lord. Forgive us for all the things, oh God, that takes us from you. Oh Lord, we lay it down, oh God, and we ask that you would come and renew us, that you would come and change us, that you would come and revive us, revive the church, revive your children, oh God. Oh, that we will stand up for what is right, God, that we will not compromise. Jesus, but that we will fight for the truth, oh God, we will stand for the truth, oh Lord, that we will preach the truth, oh God, until you come back, oh Lord. Oh, Jesus, have your way, oh Lord. We have one more elder to pray, but before we do, I want you to hear this testimony. Talk about being the church wherever you go. I was out at that uh, farm there by our house, Gilbert's Farm, wherever it's called there in the Hoffman Estates. Had a Chicago for Jesus shirt on, man, just with my kids. All of a sudden, one of these guys came up to me and said, Hey, man, I see you're sure you love Jesus. I'm like, yeah. He's like, tell me about it. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm a pastor of a church. I do all this stuff, man. We love the Lord. You should come check us out, you know. He came. He lived right by the church. He was out there in Hoffman Estates, but he lived right by the church. And he came. And he came again. And he came with his girlfriend. He came with his daughter. You know what he ended up telling me? He said, man, I had lost hope in the church. He said, man, I just thought they were all the same. And then I met you. You are so real. He said, I, I can't even believe this is a pastor. I got to come see this guy. He said, then when you talked, you kept it real. I understood what you were saying. And he said, I fell back in love with Jesus. That man now has been married to his wife. He's, he's married now to that girlfriend. He's expecting a child. He's one of our leaders in the church. And then you know what? We got these sweatshirts, Chicago for Jesus. And then uh, it was going to be sold on a Sunday. And then he wrote me on a Friday, and because I, I put it on Facebook. He's like, man, I want one of these shirts right now, you know, sweatshirts. Can you give it to me right now? Somebody at the church on a Friday said, yeah, we'll send somebody over there for you. And I said, bro, you love those shirts, huh? And this is, I, God is my witness. My wife will tell you. After I read this short little text, I bawled like a baby. I bawled like a baby. You know what he said back to me? He said, brother. It was that shirt that brought me back to God. And I just began to think to myself, not about a shirt, you know, or something, but I just began to think to myself, how many hurting people are in this divine romance? And God is trying to get us to reach out to them. And we're just so busy doing what we're doing, we're not touching anybody's heart for God. Because he said, man, the same way I loved you, that's the way you love others. That's the way you love others. That's the way you love your coworker. That's the way you love your neighbor. That's how you love people in line to ride a camel at Gilbert's farm. That's how you love people. You make yourself available. You say, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere, and I may let you down, and I'm not perfect like God is perfect, but I have been made perfect with love, and I'm going for it. And if you want to come with me, we will do this together until we meet them in heaven. One more elder want to pray.
all about your heart, God. And how your heart beats. Oh, God, how your heart beats for us, God. How your heart burns for us, God. How your heart is just pouring out. And you are asking us to fall to ourselves, to fall to our knees and ask you to fill us up again, God. How you love us, God. May we love you back with the same passion and the same ferocity, God, that you have shown us, God. May we run to our prayer closet. May we be there in presence with you, God, every day. Because we can't live one more day without your love burning from the inside out, God. From our head to our heart to our hands, to our habitat, to our humanity, God. May what you do in us show through us so strongly that those around us will fall to their knees before a holy God and realize that his love is greater than any love that we could receive from anywhere else because we were broken and we were lost and we were hurting and we were defeated and we were destroyed and we were just devastated by the things in our life. But God, it's you who've called us to a new life a transformed life, a whole life, a peaceful life, a complete life in you, God. Because we are made perfect by your perfection. Thank you, God, for giving us another day, another hour, another minute to get our lives and our hearts right before you. And may we never take it for granted. In Jesus' name. Just for a few of those who are here today, Lord, I pray right now for Demetria. Lord, you know her, God. You love her. You have poured out your heart for her. Every pain she has ever faced, that is why you died on that cross. And I pray today, God, she knows that you love her, God. I pray that she will find you as the light in the darkness, God. She will find you, God in her hurt because you are the healing God of her soul. Lord, I pray for Kelly today, God. Though she wrote on her Facebook, God, that she was all alone for the holidays, no one there by her side. I pray, God, that she will know you have never left her. You have never forsaken her. And that you, God, are the meaning behind every good thing she has ever faced and ever had in this life. And any smile she's ever had, you've given it. And God, there is so much more joy you want to give her. Not through people, not through others, God, not through the tainted hands of man, but God, you want to give her joy in her spirit and you want her to reciprocate it through spiritual worship so that through her pain, when she says, I can't worship, it hurts so much. 
you will say, because it hurts so much. Worship me for your joy. Worship me for your healing, because it hurts so much. And because God says to you, Kelly, I am so different than all those who you have encountered, all those who have hurt you. Jesus says, I am not like them. I am not like them. Lord, I lift up to you today. I lift up to you today, Ramon, God. Raymond, God. and God, I lift him up to you today. And all that he's gone through, all that he's faced, all the secret things he doesn't want to share with anybody, God. All the hurts and all the pains, God. But yet he comes, Lord. I lift him up to you today to know the friend that sticks closer than a brother. That one that he has seen sparkle before and shine like a star in the distance. I pray today, God, he draws closer to you and sees you not as a star in the distance, but as the sun of his galaxy. And that you would saturate his soul and that he would feel the rays of your glory. And just as, God, our skin is made healthy through the vitamins that come through the sun, that his soul would be healed and whole again. That he wouldn't have to ask, when, when, when will it be a new start as if these things in the past had never happened? But he can say, today my heart is healed. Today the broken pieces of my life have been healed. God, I pray for him today to know you to know you because that's what you meant that's what you meant if it doesn't work for Raymond if it doesn't work for him if it doesn't work for him it doesn't work for anybody Jesus and I know that you're not a liar so I know it works and so I know it will work for him I know it will work God your friendship your friendship your friendship is so divine that it changes everything in this world God, I pray for Carmen today, God, and the stresses of her life, God, and the battles that she faces, God, as she holds to that sword as those men of old did until their arms literally became wrapped and crippled around it until they had to be pried off of that sword because their, their muscles went into contraction because they kept fighting, they kept fighting, they kept fighting, and they literally had to have one of their brother in arms their fingers off of their sword. That's where we get the idea of take it out of my dead cold hands because many men would die on the battlefield with their arms locked on that sword with their muscles contracted. I pray for her as she's in that moment now. But God, I pray that you peel back the fingers off the sword, not of her fighting for her family, not of her fight, because that fight will always be there. She'll always have to fight for her family. She'll always have to fight for her marriage. That's what you told us to do, to fight the fight of faith. But, Lord, I pray you, peel off the fingers of that sword of stress, anxiety, worry, pressure, tiredness, fatigue, and you set her, God, as your daughter at a table and feed her, Lord, and serve her, Jesus, before her very enemies, God.
before her enemies. You set a table before her. And you fill her cup, God. And her cup runs over. And in that place, your goodness and your mercy, they follow her, God. And she doesn't ever have to fight from a place of stress. She doesn't have to fight. Can I get my rag up here, one of you brothers? She doesn't have to fight from a place of stress. She doesn't have to fight from a place of burden. She can fight from a place of joy and a place of rest. Thank you. I just want to pray for a few more of you today. Lord, we love you. We love you, Jesus. This church loves you. And we want this church to feel the love of God today. I want this church to know how much you love them today, God. I want this church to know how much you care about them, God. And that you'll never leave them and never forsake them and that it's worth it, God. And I, I lift up to you today, Jose, God, and Nicolette, God, or Nicole, Lord, I lift them up to you. God, you know, God, how much this relationship means to them. You know, God, that it's a fresh start. It's a fresh breeze, God. It is literally like walking on the sunset or walking on the beach at sunset, Lord. Their relationship to their heart, God, has been healing. Lord, it has been a new beginning, Lord. It's been the thing that they've hoped for. And, God, they're laying it at your feet. And they're saying, Lord, we don't want to lose it. We don't want to ruin it. Because we know what it's like to hurt. We know what it's like to be hurt. And they're looking at each other with the eyes, God, of trust. And they're saying, Lord, let us not let each other down. Let us not ruin this thing. And God, I hear you saying to them that when they understand the love you have for them, they will love each other with that passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians where it says love never fails because your love is patient. Your love is kind. Your love is not rude. Your love is not self-seeking. And Lord, they today can have that love without measure to the fullness and overflowing. And I pray for their relationship and their marriage to be built on love so that 10, 30, 40, 50 years from now, others come to them and say, how did you make it? How did you break the stats of divorce? How did you see this in your life? And they'll be able to say, because God loved me, I could love him and understand the love he had for me. And I could love her and I could love him till death do us part. Because romance is still alive in the Spirit of God. All that we hope for is still alive in the Spirit of God. Just one more person. Whoever's still here, I'll pray for that last person. I wish I could pray for all of you. But this is your heart as a pastor. This is how I pray for you when you're not around. And maybe I just, I felt the Lord tell me this today. He said, pray for them at the end like you do when, when, uh, when they're not around. And I did it in the first service, and I didn't think I was going to do it in the second service because it was emotional, and here I am doing it again. And I'm just telling you, God loves you, has a plan for each one of your lives. This is not a thing we take lightly. Lord, I thank you today for Isaiah. I thank you, Lord, that he comes with his family. I thank you, Lord, that if you look at his life, he had it against him. He had what could have been enough to drive him to the streets, 
to join gangs. And there was a time that the devil tricked him into believing that as a young man and that that's what he was going to live for and that was how he was going to die just like any other teenager on these streets. But Lord, you loved him and you grabbed a hold of Isaiah's heart and you didn't let go until he understood that there was no love for him on those streets. That your love was greater than any love he would find in power, money, any love he would find in sex, drunkenness. And Lord, today now his family's coming to church with him. Lord, now he's serving you. And I pray, God, he serves you to the end. And I pray that what you have prepared for him, his wife, his family, that, that image is what you meant it to be. The image of God and his family. Father, mother, child, do it in his life. You did it in me. You did it in Steve. You can do it in him. Lord, we now leave this place, God, not leaving your presence, knowing that the love of God is so real and so powerful. And I pray we live it as we get out of this place, worshiping you and obeying you and all that we do in Jesus' name. Come on, now I feel we can end church. Can somebody say amen? Let's worship the King of kings. Oh, slap your neighbor high five and say Jesus loves you and that ought to mean something God bless you have a great week you definitely at church today second service but if you need more come on up for prayer and my sister's going to sing that song a few more times come on yes Lord set my feet upon a rock and now I know oh I love you Jesus God bless you as you go We'll see you next time. Come on, can I get a high five? Woo! There's a table for you, sister. Hallelujah.